On this episode of Geek Out Loud, our good friend Michael Mercy stops by. We're talking toys, we're talking geekdom, we're talking whatever. It's just a good old-fashioned episode of Geek Out Loud, your safe place to geek out. This is the Geek Out Loud podcast. Welcome once again to Geek Out Loud. My name is Steve Glosson. So glad to be along with you on your safe place to geek out. And um, uh, still dealing with the new setup and, and seeing what's going on with it. Apparently, I pressed buttons that I was not supposed to press uh, at some point, and And now everything is different. So that's that's my life. But uh, we're here to geek out. There's all kinds of stuff to talk about, news to get into. We're not, not a lot of news, just a lot of geeking out. And to do so, I'm really thrilled to have our guest with us tonight. Um, I've decided that I'm going to forevermore refer to this man as the Zen Master of 80s toy collecting. And uh, because that is, that is the vibe he gives. He is the coolest, chillest funnest toy channel on youtube you can check him out there you can check him out here because he's with us ladies and gentlemen michael mercy hello michael oh thank you steve that is such an awesome intro and now i feel like doing an ultimate warrior promo. <laughs> <laughs> but i'll i'll stick with the zen gimmick i guess <laughs> and uh i got a nickname for you too um so i was chatting with my wife saying this guy needs a nickname he really needs a you know just something i gotta refer to he's got too much personality to not have a nickname oh, no. and she came out with uh with a great one awesome steve glosson awesome St- <laughs> well awesome, there you go awesome steve glosson but uh so i hope you like that one that's you know hopefully that'll catch on but you know how the maca dream doth the road yes used to have a nickname for Michael P.S. Hayes that only Dusty called him that? Well, I I think I've heard that. I don't remember the name, though. It was Fantasia, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no one called Hayes Fantasia except Dusty. That's so right. Hopefully this awesome Steve Glosson thing catches on, but I want to call you Stunning Steve Glosson. Stunning Steve Glosson. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. I'm not a, I'm not a Hollywood blonde. But I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely take it. It's so good to have you with us. And uh, for those who may not be familiar, it, it was neat to be able to be on your. I made my YouTube, my intent. I call it my intentional YouTube debut, um, <laughs> because there, I'm on YouTube and other places where I don't mean to be there. It just kind of happens. <laughs> Well, everyone's got a camera now on their phone. That's right, right exactly. And um, and so, um, but I, it, it was really cool to be able to sit and, and hang with you and, and talk toys over on your YouTube channel, which is really you just easy to find. Everyone just just search for Michael Mercy, and um, and you can even chant his name if you want to. I decided your name is very chantable, Michael Mercy. 
clap, 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 clap. That's right. So, talk forever. So, <laughs> <laughs> dive. This is the part where we dive. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, I, that, thanks so much for having me on uh, on your show. I've heard about Geek Out Loud uh, forever through Rebel Force Radio, yeah. and I've listened to a number of your shows and really enjoy it. Uh, same deal, you know, just easygoing, zen type of fun chat. Uh, I'll never call one of my deals an interview, uh, or I'll, I'll try not to, because I don't want to interview anyone or be interviewed. I just want to, you know, shoot the breeze and have fun about fun stuff. Yeah, well, it's and that's that's the thing. That's what, and that's what Geek Out Loud was. Um, it, what it was born out of was just a desire to celebrate what I enjoy. Because here's something funny: ten years ago, there was some negativity on the internet that was really getting what, me down. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's amazing um, how far we've come. Um, so, <laughs> You're talking about the dark ages. That's right. Dark times. It's amazing how far. And so I started with a little blog, and I'm like, you know what? I talk better than I write. Let's do podcast, and and got into the gig of of podcasting. Just and really, everything was just celebrating what I loved. I would accumulate news articles and just and I you know and I didn't know if anyone was listening or not and. You know, over time, people were, and and the whole idea is just to have fun, and and to celebrate, you know, what what we enjoy. And every now and again, there's stuff to have to comment on, like, um, you know, the news that everyone's freaking out about today and yesterday. I know that um, that Rambo Last Blood is coming out soon. Oh my gosh, dude! That <laughs> is that what you're? No, you're talking about something else. <laughs> well, I've not talked about the Rambo Last Blood situation. <laughs> That's what I'm freaking about. Last Blood. I'm so excited, but. Um, yeah, in the news, I heard about it. Yeah, the 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 Sony Disney stuff going on, and and it seems like there's just a um, there's a pallor over everyone's geekdom right now because of that. Um, and I've also it's also been interesting to see how many people immediately put the blame on Sony, but then Sony came out and said, "Look, we didn't walk away. Disney walked away." Yeah. And and so you know, it's just it's. And then I saw an article where I saw someone post. That their sources, and I'm using that word very loosely, dink, dink, quotation marks, um, tell them that Tom Holland is really upset about the situation uh, because he enjoys being the Spider-Man character and he's only optioned for a third movie and that doesn't mean he's necessarily going to come back for one and he's losing money because of, uh, you know, if they're not tied in with the Avengers and everything, that's a lot of money for him to lose and leave on the table. And yeah. so he's kind of upset about it, but I, that's hearsay. And then just before I, I sat down to get everything set tonight, I saw an article where Stan Lee's daughter is like super happy that it all fell oh, apart. Boy. And it, it, when she chimed in, it kind of reminded me of when uh, Steve Whitmire got let go by Disney. Yes, um, yeah, as Kermit, as, as the voice of Kermit mm-hmm. the Frog, and it's kind of similar. Like people, there's a there's a lot of uh, fans who. Uh, I don't know. They probably don't intentionally do it, but they they treat the properties that they love like sports, sporting events. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, just like sports teams are, argue and they fight over who's going to win and who's going to lose, and this sucks. And you know, that's great. Um, movie fans, comic fans can do the same thing. Like, oh no, this movie's going to tank, which means we lose, <laughs> or or hopefully it breaks box office records, which means we win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this guy got canned and when Whitmire got canned, the Henson kids came in and they chimed in and they said, you know, they didn't give glowing opinions of him. And mm-hmm. like, wh- I'm sitting there going, 
first of all, I don't really, I don't really care all that much. Um, but, but then like, what do, what do they care? I mean, they, they sold the company. They're not involved anymore. So now, even though they're not involved, we go back to them and their opinion matters. You know, it's supposed to matter in in those types of things. So uh, the whole thing just kind of seemed weird to me. And the Spider-Man thing is just history repeating again. And it's the type of thing, like I'll talk about it tonight because it's interesting to talk about. Right. Um, But it's just the type of thing that I've always found takes the joy Mm-hmm. Out of exactly, uh, yeah. You know, it, when you know how the sausage is made, and having done some short films and mu- music videos and, and working a little bit behind the camera on stuff like that, it definitely takes the joy away. Mm-hmm. It takes a bit of the magic away from how it's done, and that's one thing for a filmmaker or, or a writer or an actor to go through. But it just seems like in the past thirty years, everybody is an expert because of uh youtube interviews clips Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. behind the scenes featurettes appendices dvd featurettes everybody knows how the sausage is made now and it just to know that much of what's going on like now contract details are going to be released about this and that and who wanted more money and who's the bad guy Mm -hmm. it just how do you walk into a movie fresh and go I'm going to enjoy this fictional story about these fictional characters and, and and really like just get lost in this imaginary wonderful world when you know all the the behind the scenes uh you know wheeling, wheeling and dealing it's um it's 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 one of those things that you know I liken it to my wrestling fandom um I was a fan of wrestling for years, and then just like everyone else in the mid '90s, mid to late '90s, when the big boom happened again, um, but the with the advent of the internet into the early 2000s, you know, I was getting on all the websites and following all the behind the scenes news and everything, and I just found myself forming opinions of people who I didn't know based on what I was being told by other people that I didn't know. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> don't listen based, to honky talk based man. <laughs> on based on what they heard, you know, someone else yeah. say. And and I and I realized that my enjoyment of what I was watching started to spiral downward. And so I got out of the whole wanting to know everything that was going on behind the scenes altogether. Um, yeah. You know, outside of listening to like old timers tell fun stories and everything. Um, but then. You know, and I and then I began to enjoy it more, and it's and it's the same way I think sometimes with this kind of stuff. And you hit the nail on the head. People look at their fandom these days as like a sports fandom, where mm-hmm. it's us They're against. Very invested. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, and and people get personally invested in this stuff. And I and I've been there. I know. I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, I've never been personally invested in anything like that. You know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, me too. I have. Sure, I have. But when it comes to this this particular situation, I look at it and I'm like. I feel like there's too much money for both companies to just leave it like like it stands right now. Yeah. Um, but I also, you said something very interesting. It's history repeating itself. And as you look at the history of Sony and Spider-Man, um, they it's it's really weird. You know, they're they're very much that type studio that is like, all right, go do this, and it'll be wonderful. Oh, that was successful. Let's why don't you do this this time? And it'll be wonderful. Well, that was super successful. Well, here's what we are definitely going to do. And the studio is going to now, like that's what happened with Raimi's trilogy. 
mm-hmm. going into Spider-Man three, he didn't want anything to do with Venom. Um, yeah. He, you know, he wanted to do Vulture. Uh, there, there, was, and and I'm not saying it would have been great, but it's really interesting to see how much more lovingly it seemed the Sandman stuff is done in Spider-Man three than the Venom stuff is done. Oh, it was a total afterthought. Yes. And, Complete afterthought. And and then you look at what happened with Amazing Spider-Man, and I really enjoyed the first one. Um, I thought it had some incredible moments in it. Um, the, the everyone turning the cranes in, so he could. I mean, that's just a big comic book moment, you know. But then Amazing Spider-Man two just it ran off the rails, and you just really felt like at that point it was a company trying to mimic what because when Marvel began to have success with this whole connected universe thing. Everyone decided they wanted to do that. And mm-hmm. so, and I think Sony realized, oh, we've got all these characters. We can do some amazing things. Um, and, and they did, and they tried to rush things. And, and what I've seen from Sony time and time again is a little bit of success leads to a lot of people trying to get their hands in the pot and kind of crashing the ship, which is unfortunate. Yeah, um, it's hard to stay true to what brought you to the dance. Um, I love the original Raimi Spider-Man and I, I like the second one too. It's yeah. kind of that Superman one, two, three, yes. and yeah. Lethal Weapon one, two. Mm-hmm. So uh, I like the second one, and then the third one. I, you know, I just I thought well, this isn't what brought you to the dance, and it, it was. Oh, we'll never know for sure, but the the narrative that's been released is that uh, there was too much studio meddling. Yep. He was given free reign in the first one, and not so much in the third one. I think what's really funny about. Um, this new situation is apparently some people are demanding that Sony hand Spider-Man back to Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like, you know, I, again, I don't know the full situation, right? But apparently they, they have it fair and square. They licensed it fair and square. Um, It might've been a very different situation when this happened. Marvel, you know, it's it's hard to imagine, but they declared bankruptcy at one point, yes. didn't they? Yeah, they, they were in big, big trouble. Even though they had all these iconic, beloved characters, mm-hmm. Back in and the, so now they're the biggest thing going. Like literally, yeah. Endgame is the biggest movie of all time. Yeah, grossing movie of all time. Yeah. So definitely a different situation now. And Sony still has the rights for Spider-Man based on you know a very different era and a different financial situation, but they still have it fair and square. They yep. fulfilled the requirements mm-hmm. necessary to maintain the rights. They kept cranking out Spider-Man movies, good mm-hmm. or bad. That was one of the stipulations. That's why they no longer have Daredevil uh, right. or Fantastic Four, or, or was it? Uh, Fox uh, had Daredevil and Fantastic right. Four. Sony, yeah, um, Sony only so they, had the so Spider-Man. they lost stuff. those because yeah. they just said, "Well, we can't figure this out." So right. here, you can have them back. Well, Fox before the before the Disney buyout of Fox and everything before that ever happened, Fox went ahead and let the Daredevil rights lapse as well as like Ghost Rider, um, mm-hmm. and and because they were just like, "All right, we're done with these guys. We can't make anything happen." But they yeah. wanted to hold on to that Fantastic Four and the X Men, of course. But with Sony, and this is the thing you mentioned, and and. And really, this is where, like, not living in the middle of it, I I like on the back end of things, going back through the history and hearing the stories of how things went. And with with Marvel, I remember when Marvel was in bankruptcy. I remember when they they were having to restructure and everything was going on. And, and, And the first time it began to happen was in the early 90s, and that's when they started to sign away a lot of these movie rights to different movie companies and everything. 
Yeah. And there's, there's desperation. A, there's a really interesting story there with the Fantastic Four situation. Um, and what they did with these rights is a lot of them were in perpetuity. So as long as there was something actually in the works every so many years, these studios got to hold on to the rights to these various characters. And this is, understand, a lot of people don't realize, like, it, it's so funny that it was only, what, it, it's it's been just under 10 years ago that Disney actually bought Marvel. Mm-hmm. And um, and so Marvel was its own thing. It was a publicly traded company. It there was it, there was Marvel, and they owned Toy Biz. Was the only other thing they kind of had under them. Uh, they sold that asset off to Hasbro um, in a lot of restructuring. And so Spider Man was was really weird. The right the movie rights to Spider Man were something that were in limbo for years in the nineties. There was all this talk of all this talk about a new Spider Man movie. James yeah, Cameron, yes, yes. And so when it finally happened in 2002, or was released in 2002, it was a big deal. And, um, and, and, and it really, you know, it was in that period of time where they were still trying to figure out what superhero movies were going to be going forward. We'd had the X-Men be successful in the year 2000 with the, with the black leather, you know, and, and, and yeah. the crack about yellow spandex. And, and so now it's like, well, what are these things going to be going forward? And Spider-Man was the first step into getting closer and closer to what was actually on the page visually. And um, I think that Raimi Spider-Man is the template for all the Marvel movies you see today. People say the Marvel movies are great. They're even the worst one is still really entertaining and they have a certain tone and vibe, but like that first Spider-Man movie is your template for, for what I think, you know, Marvel brings definitely a, a lot to the, to the game there. They make great movies, but that's Spider-Man, the Toby one, the first one I think fits right in with any modern or, or from the past 10 years, Marvel movie ever made. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. There's the humor that's there. There's a, there's the heart that is there in, in mm-hmm. these things. And, and, and so, yeah, it, it definitely what and it was the big kickoff for, for like it, it took what the X-Men did and just kicked it up a notch. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, going back to that thing where some people are saying they should give it back to <laughs> to, to Disney. <laughs> it is kind of funny. But not to be one to stand up for Sony in this. Like, I, I don't have a dog in the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not defending Sony. I'm not defending Disney. But i just like to point out maybe Marvel wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Sony's help. Because Sony did or uh, Marvel did sell, they did license the Spider-Man rights and Sony paid. And with that money, Marvel was able to, you know, continue existing. And with the success of that first Spider-Man movie, I think that also helped a lot with reviving Marvel, mm-hmm. making it strong. Like, yep. So it, it's not just oh, look at everything that Disney and Marvel has done for you, Sony, you ingrates. It kind of goes both ways. People, how quick they forget mm-hmm. how big that Toby movie was yes. and how much credibility it, it gave to to Marvel. It's the um, it, it's it's kind of the uh, Michael Keaton is so much better than Adam West syndrome. Oh yeah, you know if you, in 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 eighty nine. Now, granted, there was many more years between Michael West or Michael Keaton and Adam West, but um, you know, people. I remember when that Batman came out. People, oh. Adam West is horrible. He's terrible. That's you know that was that was not Batman. This is Batman, you know. And then here comes Christian Bale. Oh, that's Batman. This isn't Batman. You know, this, 
And and it's and and it really is. It's a you forgot that you said how much you love this, and it and that's the thing. The people were saying, well, Adam West was a terrible Batman. Loved Batman '66. You know, I grew up on that. I loved well, watching. You know, everyone's shit. entitled to their own opinion, except the people who don't like '66 Batman. <laughs> <laughs> they are. If you don't like Adam West, you are not entitled to your own opinion. <laughs> it's just, come on, old chum. <laughs> you filthy yeah. animals. Um, Sometimes you just can't get rid of a bomb. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> yeah, I the, the, there was so much. Like as a kid, it never occurred to me that these were supposed to be funny, campy things. They were mm. colorful. They were you know they were bad guys and good guys, and I just loved watching those. Obviously, I didn't watch them in their original airing. I watched them in syndication on various and sundry channels and everything. But um, mm. but yeah, it it's it's the same thing. It's like everyone's like Tom Holland's the greatest and. And they forget, you know, Tobey Maguire was good. Um, and, and Tom those, Holland and is the latest. Tom, exactly. I don't know if he's the greatest. He's definitely the latest. <laughs> he does a fantastic job. Don't get me wrong. He's, I, he's I, great. Yeah, he is great. The spirit of the character is definitely there in the way he's been written. And Tom Holland, you know, brings that Queen's accent to him like no other actor has. Yeah. Um, I guarantee you, though, in 10, 15 years, when someone else dons the uh, – maybe we'll get a Miles Morales – I guarantee you, whoever the new uh, Spidey is, is going to be the the greatest Spidey ever. Mm -hmm. And Tom will just be sitting there on a bench with Toby going, remember the web shooters? (laughs) Right. Right. Well, and Toby said, well, mine grew out of my arms. Yeah, mine Uh, were organic. Yeah, mine were organic. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. Well, it's so interesting. I I was talking to someone the other day and they were like, I really was kind of, he's, I forget how they said it, but they were surprised at the choice that they had for Tom Holland to have web shooters like build web shooters and, and make the fluid you know because right? wasn't it originally organic i'm like no no that was the comics peter parker built his web shooters and, des- and designed the web fluid yeah and they were like oh i didn't realize that and i'm like yeah you know and that and i think a lot of people forget that there is a there's a comic book background for all of these things mm-hmm. and the organic web shooters actually come from spider-man 2099 i don't know how much you were in the comics back in the day I read a few 90s. of those, yeah. <laughs> but um, but you know, the, the, when they did their tw- when Marvel in the nineties, you know, were really trying to get hip and did their twenty ninety nine stuff. Um, the the Spider Man of twenty ninety nine, after his incident with some type of spider, uh, his web shooters actually grew into his arms. Like he he did the organic thing, similar to what they did with Tobey Maguire, and yeah. and so. You know, the, everything kind of has a comic book origin. It's just what they kind of do with it. So, yeah, they mix and match. And I was fine with the organic shooters in the Toby movie because oh, it too, just, yeah. it was, you know, it was one less thing for him to deal with because he already had so much to deal with. Mm-hmm. And is it really that hard to, like, and I'm a lifelong Spider Man fan. I grew up watching the cartoons and syndication, the, the mm-hmm. 60s yep. Spider Man. Uh, is it that hard to believe that a guy who has, this um, spider sense and spider strength and can stick to walls that he can also <laughs> shoot webs out of his wrists. That's like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Is exactly. it a stretch or, or, or why is that part ridiculous? Like, no, no, no. Everything yeah. else, of course, but it's, no. it, it's honestly, it's more of a stretch to think that a, a high school student can develop this compound that does everything that those webs do. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, but I, but, but I, I readily accept both premises. Yeah. You me know, too. That, that's where, that's where I'm at. And, and, um, and am I, you know, I do think that we'll see Spider-Man in the MCU again to come back to the original point. 
Uh, I just it that I, I'm glad we kind of landed in the same place because I am I'm not surprised in a world of hyperbole in a world of everyone being invested in things that they honestly have nothing to do with or no power over. Um, I'm not surprised that people are, are really shocked and taken back by this. And and I understand this. Like, I am, if 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 Tom Holland, if that version of Spider-Man doesn't show back up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe under the Marvel Studios banner, I will be disappointed as a fan. Um, but I'm not going to be super angry either because at this point... Um, with Marvel Studios and the Marvel Cinematic Universe from Iron Man to Endgame uh, and even Spider-Man Far From Home, for me, uh, it's it's more than I could have ever asked as a comic Mm -hmm. book fan, as a superhero fan, to have a series of movies like that. Yeah, absolutely. And what what more do you want? I mean, what what more do I want, I should say? I'm completely satisfied. And uh, everything after that is... I like... I was going to say everything after that is bonus, but everything after the first Avengers to me is bonus. Oh, indeed. Indeed. Because that was my uh, like uh, pinnacle of, wow, I can't believe they did it. This is a masterpiece. A friend of mine was saying to me that he kept expecting someone to come down and turn off the, uh, turn off the projector and be like, I'm sorry, we're not supposed to be showing you this at all. Because (laughs) it was just that my dude, when, when Hulk comes busting through the helicarrier and he's about to 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 get to Black Widow, and all of a sudden Thor comes out of nowhere. My mind was blown because, as a comic book kid and a Marvel kid growing up, um, my Hulk was my favorite character, and I always loved it when Hulk and Thor would fight, and when Hulk and the Thing would fight. Mm-hmm. And and it never occurred to me that within this movie, I would see Hulk and Thor face off. I really thought that my Hulk Thor face off that I would get on screen was going to be relegated to Lou Ferrigno and uh and and that Eric I can't think of his last name who Bad. played who played no who played um Thor in the Incredible oh, Hulk the Returns. TV movie. Yeah, the TV yeah. movie. This will send you back to hell, you ugly troll. Um, yeah. that's, that was my favorite line from that whole show. <laughs> <laughs> well, those Hulk TV movies are another reason why I was a, a little skeptical when it came to Avengers, because mm. I had seen the Marvel crossovers yes. and those TV movies and I wasn't impressed. <laughs> like, Are you talking about John Reese davies as Kingpin? <laughs> yeah. Rex Smith as Daredevil. Oh, Rex Read Smith. a book. <laughs> <laughs> Set the ruler on the map. Now move the, move the, te- uh, listen, I love those things so much. They're. I, they are cheesy. They are not well. It, the Incredible Hulk Returns, the one with Thor, is better than the Trial of the Incredible Hulk, the one with Daredevil. Oh, really? Um, I, I I enjoyed um, the Trial better just for uh, Bixby's part in, oh, in the okay. Trial. I, yeah. I felt like he got to sink his teeth into that story a little bit mm. more, and uh, I, I enjoyed seeing the lonely man have you know a basically uh, a good brother, you like know, a team up, yeah, a team up, something. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and I, I and uh, like at first I didn't like that Thor in the TV movie, but now that I've seen Chris Hem- Hemsworth's Thor, I I went back last year and I watched that uh, the Thor TV movie, and I actually enjoyed that character a lot more now uh, with what Chris Hemsworth has brought to the role, mm-hmm. like just being a big pompous. I found him very irritating before, and now I find him charming and, right. <laughs> and entertaining, knowing what Thor is supposed to be. Right. Next to Hemsworth. Yeah. Well, it's it, the I, when I saw I go back to my original point when I saw Thor and Hulk fight on the on the deck of the helicarrier. I'm like, I can go home now. 
Yeah. You know, I'm I'm good. I can go home. And then, and it's interesting because they they did so many things within the Marvel Cinematic Universe that for a for a comic book reader who used to just sit and pour over every page and reread comics and reread comics, there were little design things here and there that were so familiar to me, and I just couldn't put my finger on it. And one of those things were the stairs when when Loki was um you know in his head talking to the basically the voice of you know I guess I don't know what you end up calling the guy but he's the guy who was relaying all the instructions to Loki and everything and um and there were these stairs behind him going up to somewhere and I'm like those look so familiar that that design looks very familiar to me and I couldn't and then as at the end as in that post credit sequence when he says to to challenge the humans is to court death. And I realized he was talking to the back of a chair. Mm-hmm. And and I just, I, I was like, I, I don't know how many times I could have my mind blown in, in, this, in the course of one movie sitting. But, I thought, but to have Thanos turn around and smile, I was like, there's no way. This is, this is they're just toying with our emotions now. There's yeah. no way they're bringing this guy. This is too cosmic. This is too big. They can't do it. This can't be done, you know. Yeah. And you get this amazing masterpiece, and then you're you're hinted at something even more grand. Yeah, and it was and, amazing. And I could and I couldn't believe it. And so, so I I even told my wife, I'm like, after Endgame, you know, with the nice button of Far From Home tacked on to the end of that, um, I I don't ever need. You know, I, I will go to see superhero movies till the day I die, most likely. You know, but I don't need anything else. I this yeah. I I can die happy with that as far as my geekdom goes because I think I think that Marvel Studios did such a good job with all of that. So anything else we get is just going to be kind of fun for me to see where it goes and what they do. And if they mess up, look, there's sometimes it's good to have a bad movie. You know, it it can be a joy to yeah. to watch a bad one. Yeah, especially with a bunch of friends, Mystery Science Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, for the, you know, I don't know how many people listening right now uh, are so invested that this will really ruin their day or their year. Um, but f- for the people who, um, you know, their joy hinges on the decisions of these billion-dollar corporations, I would just uh, suggest try to keep grip strength in mind because that's something that I'm always trying to be cognizant of grip strength so the things that i love i i grip them very tightly i i hold on to them very tightly i'm very passionate about the things i love grip strength but the other side of the coin of grip strength is also this is one i think a lot of people forget if you can hold on really really tight you can also let go of really really heavy things you you can have the strength to let go too so strength is also letting go not just holding on mm-hmm. and that's why i just have such a take it or leave it attitude towards everything <laughs> star wars movie comes along and i'm hoping that it recaptures the magic of the original trilogy but when it doesn't i can just enjoy the movie for what it is give it one viewing and say hey you know what i enjoyed it I'll never watch it again, but no qualms, you know, it's, yeah. it's fine. It's, it's not, I hate that movie and I, you know, I never, I'm angry. So, you know, if it doesn't happen, if Spidey doesn't come back to the MCU, just let go. Like there's, there's, did you see the end scene of Endgame? There's a lot of other stuff going on in there mm-hmm. and it, and he's part of an ensemble cast. He's not the star. And I say that as a huge Spider-Man fan. Yep. 
if he's gone, he's gone. And, and that's, that's part of, you know, uh, the behind the scenes, uh, business dealings. Don't lose sleep over, um, you know, the troubles of billion dollar corporations. Just, just remember, like, if you don't have a billion in, in the bank, why are you, uh, losing sleep, getting, uh, worked up about what billionaires are, are struggling with? Yeah. Now, and now if you're a Sony shareholder or something, let your voice be heard. But <laughs> I, I, I do love, I do. It's cute that people would say, um, give, you know, Sony should give Spider-Man back to Disney. I have not seen that, but that is cute. Here, here's the thing with corporations. I don't think they compromise very well. At least I've never really seen corporations compromise all that well. Governments is a different thing. Governments try to compromise in order to reach like a peaceful understanding most of the time. Um, but corporations, they're out for profit. And so I think that's the thing that's really odd when people get so passionate about this type of thing where like, isn't there a, a, a petition out there? You know, like <laughs> as if it's some sort of charitable right. thing, right? We we got to get Spidey back in here for the good of humanity or something. Right. These are just just keep in mind. And, you know, I love this stuff as much as anybody. And I look around my toy museum and I know it's made by a couple of billion dollar corporations. So right. I think corporations can do great things. I also think I'm not going to get upset if a billion dollar corporation is risking not making a couple billion dollars here or there, uh, you know, they'll be fine. So that's why I just have such a easy come, easy go attitude yeah. when it comes to it. Um, Sony is a very, very wealthy corporation. They're not a charity. They're a corporation and they got wealthy, uh, you know, by having people in part buying tickets at, you know, what I think are very overpriced tickets at a, at a theater. And then Disney, you know, it's, it's probably not too long until we see Mickey Mouse on, on the dollar bill. Um, they're doing quite well as well. You know, maybe on one side, it'll be Mickey on the other side, it'll be uncle George Lucas. Yeah. Um, but they'll be fine too. So don't, don't worry about it. They'll be fine. Um, <laughs> and your happiness doesn't hinge on Spider-Man appearing in the next Avengers movie. It, it'll be fine, even if he is out, which I, I don't think he will be. I think they'll reach an agreement. And this might even just be a ploy. That's another thing you never know. It might just be a ploy to make people appreciate something a little bit more because mm -hmm. you don't appreciate something until it's gone. But uh, even hypothetically, if he was out, my God, like if any comic book character can do fine on his own, it's Spider-Man. The guy has, what, like 40 villains all to himself and – and a yeah. bunch of uh, yeah. heroes he can team up with, like he, he, they, they would be quite fine just having you know Spider Man, and then I guess teaming him up with Venom, possibly. Yeah, well, yeah, that, and, and uh, you know, I have opinions, of course, as a comic book fan about all that stuff. Well, you, but, uh, you enjoyed um, uh, Batman, uh, Adam West's Batman, so you are entitled to your opinion. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> you. Earn that right. Well, let me let me just let <laughs> me just snowball let me just snowball off of this whole thing and 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 bring it around to this because in the uh, in in your in your playlist of, of videos and and I would encourage everyone to go back through and and watch your offerings especially your your various and sundry toy reviews um, I still have many questions about many things um, as it pertains to some of this stuff but there's a, there's a few earlier videos where you do a, a virtual tour through your 
'80s toy museum, which is yeah. which is you know. I thought that was a catchier name than my uh, man cave. There you go, or um, toy room. But it and it's an amazing setup. Like it, it is, it is, it, it fires the imagination and stirs up all kinds of memories and everything. And dude, I, I don't want to sound like I'm you know absolutely not bragging here, but it's magic for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's I've I've had it completed in this you know stage for a, a few years now yeah. every time i walk through the door i'm transported back to mm-hmm. toys r us 1986 or 87 or 88 <clears throat> it it really you know is a magical place i currently live in in north georgia and longtime listeners of the goldiverse will, will remember it, my time in south georgia several years ago i had a i had a large room where i would actually do all the recording and everything from and and it was my star wars room and, and it was wall-to-wall vintage and modern um, Star Wars stuff just on display, you know, most of it open, some stuff. If it, if I felt like it displayed better carded or boxed, I would leave it that way. But by and large, everything was open and, and, and just to walk in and to sit in amongst that was just really kind of a happy place for me. Um, to, you know, and, and it's one of those things that, you know, bit by bit, I'm reclaiming in various and sundry ways, but decided to add a little more flavor to my office here now where I'm at, you know, with, with throwing up some marble stuff and, and some other things. And, um, you know, I got a a neat little trick. It's a, it's a great cost saving, um, technique. You remember in a new hope at the end during the ceremony, Mm -hmm. they actually use cutouts for all of those rebels. Oh yeah. So instead of, um, at least that's what I heard. Like those, those aren't real people all standing lined up while Leia is giving out the medals or like their cutouts. Hmm. So you can do that with your toys too, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. From a distance, they look like real toys. That's true. That's true. Well, uh, all right. The jig is up. Ninety-five percent of the toys in my '80s toy museum are just printout cutouts. Well, I'm I'm going to push back on that a little bit because there are two things I want to say. Number one, your Centurion shelf is really amazing because you have all of their different gear and and you've got them in basically ascending order from like their basic all the way up to the biggest. Yeah. And you have different, you have an action fit. You like you, you have multiple figures of each of the characters to have in those different apparatuses. Yeah. I picked like. them all up when they, before this big toy boom happened right. and they were, you know, it's just crazy to me to think now I picked up each one of for like five or 10 bucks. Yeah. With helmet, yep. you know, perfect time to to get into those. Amazing, but then the other thing is, is you've got a shelf with some X Men on it. Oh yeah. Um, and and I'm wondering if in all of your '80s nostalgia and and everything, if the Secret Wars line was ever a thing for you. No, actually, I didn't get into comics until the late '80s, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. early '90s, because during that time I was I was reading comics, but I was reading GI Joe and Transformers, right. Right. So that was, and I was reading them, you know, monthly, and I I loved them too. But when those stopped, I I wanted to keep going to the comic store and and getting comics, and mm-hmm. I'd already read all the back issues of Joe and Transformers, and well, what else is there? And um, I, I had watched Spider Man the cartoon, and mm-hmm. I, I tried one of those, and it just, you know, it was okay, but it was. X-Men reminded me the most of G.I. Joe and Transformers. I guess because Spidey was like, you know, he was he was the one guy and everything was happening to him. And I just loved how X-Men, it just reminded me of those early Transformers where they're all colorful. They all have special powers. Maybe uh, 
maybe the Transformers, the the original '84 bots, kind of gave me a um, an appreciation for the X Men because there were Transformers with special powers. Like Windcharger, for some reason, had a magnetic power. Right. And Ironhide could shoot liquid nitrogen. Like, there's like, why? Why do these guys have these <laughs> unique powers? But the Transformers are basically X Men. Those uh, hmm. arc bots. Smokescreen has the smoke. So I think that's why I just slipped right into X Men so easily and and loved it. Loved all the time travel stuff with Cable. Uh, I was a big fan of uh, and still am of a book series called Soldiers of Barabbas. Hmm. Sobs which is a total, like, it's a mercenary, first blood Rambo type of mm-hmm, series. Mm-hmm. And Cable is is the main character of Sobs. He is a Niall Barabbas. White hair, big, tall, man, a few words, brilliant. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, another reason why X-Men just grabbed me. Yeah. So did you kind of stay there? Was that your wheelhouse? You just kind of hung out in the X-Men arena? Or did you branch out from there at all? Uh, yeah, I just I stayed with X Men, and then like that's its own huge universe right, itself. Yes, so, right. uh, started with X Men, uh, really took a liking to Wolverine. So mm-hmm. I started reading his solo comic, mm-hmm. and I, he reminded me so much of Clint Eastwood, who's one of my favorite actors. Yep. And you know, right down to Wolverine being kind of in, inspired by Clint, the look of him, uh, not the height, but kind of facially. Uh, so I, I enjoyed his solo comic too, and then X Force mm-hmm. started up, and then back issues issues of X Factor, the Cable solo comic. Like I, I was busy enough with X Men. I, I didn't have time or money for the Avengers and Spidey and all the other stuff going on in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Let alone like DC. Like the, there was only so much money. Yeah. It well I and I and for that reason, I stayed out of the mutant stuff on the page. Um, I watched the X-Men cartoon um, oh, I loved it. because it was a cartoon and kind of more easily accessible. But when I was collecting comics, I stayed over with Hulk. Fantastic Four was my jam. Um, I would actually only dip in and out of, Sp- of the Spider-Man title here and there, depending on what villain he was fighting that month or that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and then toward the late 90s, I uh, did a deep dive into DC when I saw... Grant Morrison's JLA number one on the stand, and there was Superman and uh, Aquaman and Batman and Robin and Wonder Woman, and I'm like, it's the Super Friends of the '90s, and yeah. uh, and and so I immediately got involved into that. Um, but I always knew, you know, and and I guess I was a little counterculture without meaning to be, because everyone liked Wolverine. And I'm like, of course you like Wolverine. He's super cool. And he debuted in the Hulk comic. Of course you like Wolverine. I think it also helped me because uh, he was Canadian. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, other than Alpha Flight, which wasn't my jam. <laughs> like, I just, uh, I wasn't into that at all. I just, I loved this, you know, like all the X-Men were so flamboyant and boisterous and colorful. And then you had this guy who... I guess was wearing the yellow spandex, but you know, he's just this quiet, gruff cigar smoking. Are we done yet? Type right. of guy. Yep. So I just, I, I love that. Andy, like I'm a big snake Plissken fan and that's what Wolverine basically mm-hmm. is. He's, he's the snake Plissken of his team. He's there, you know, he's tolerating them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's not exactly a team player. <laughs> well, there's a great moment with him. You mentioned, you know, him being inspired later on by Clint Eastwood. Um, there, there's a great moment during uh, the 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 Dark Phoenix saga with Wolverine, where 
He's fighting through all these Hellfire Club goons, and um, and he does the whole Dirty Harry speech, and and he goes, "I know what you're thinking. You know, he's hurt, and he's like five meters away from me, mm-hmm. and I've got a full clip of ammo in my rifle. Question is, can I kill Wolverine before he can reach me and cut into me? <laughs> you know? And he's basically so you got to ask yourself a question: Do you feel lucky? You know, basically he does the "Do you feel lucky?" punk. Uh, yeah. monologue and um and it's awesome and I think they actually redid that in the cartoon um that th- they did that they showed that moment during their Dark Phoenix saga adaptation in the cartoon um yeah. that's a great cartoon and Larry Hama wrote a bunch of Wolverine too which I think mm. was another uh, reason why it resonated with me because you know he wrote the whole re- Real American Hero run or or almost all of it. Now, do you know if do you know if Larry Hama is the reason that like Wolverine goes and does the samurai thing and uh, and and all of and all of that 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 is very much like you know well and two it was the eighties but like when it comes to GI Joe in the eighties everybody was a ninja or had some type of martial arts training. Yeah, you know. uh, I'm not sure about that. Maybe someone uh, listening on the Go Live Verse uh, room can can let us know about that. I, I'm I don't remember which ones okay. were Hammer stories yeah. or not. I just remember, um, you know, reading a few years ago, mm-hmm. like Larry Hammer worked on Wolverine too, and I thought, oh, well, how about that? That's that probably has something to do with why I appreciated that writing. Right. Well, yeah, uh, Larry Hammer is is a legend if for no other reason than just the GI Joe stuff, you know. Oh yeah, and yeah. and you and you were an avid. That was that was really your fandom, I guess. Was was the GI Joe and the and you mentioned the Transformers, of course. Those were. Yeah, I'd I go back and forth between the two. You know, sometimes just like with anything you're a fan of, you you uh, cool off something for a little bit, but then mm-hmm. you give it a break, and all of a sudden it's kind of like a pro wrestler. You know, he gets injured, yeah. he's gone for a while, and then when he comes back, he's the cat's meow. Right. You know, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, and then uh, and the shine wears off a little bit. So, yeah, that's what happened through the '80s with me and GI Joe and Transformers. Mm-hmm. You know depending on what week it was transformers was my favorite or gi joe and then in the end in the 90s when that stuff was gone or not what it used to be um for me it was x-men and star wars basically because mm. that's when i finally got into star wars in the early 90s really yeah well, that's <laughs> kind of late <laughs> to the game there you got it well you got to get into those properties when they're dead and cheap <laughs> that's right that's true that's a great point when uh, they're on clearance yeah I'm, I'm an avid clearance shopper so star wars was definitely on clearance in the early 90s i regret i regret the fact that in the early 90s i didn't live in an area where i could make it to more toy shows and comic shows to buy cheap star wars stuff i don't think there were toy shows back then though there were there were like you go to like comic conventions and and there'd be these vendors that would have you know, a box of Star Wars figures under the table. Okay. You know, because yeah, we, like, we they, never had anything like that. Yeah. If, uh, I, like I vaguely remember there was some sort of a, a music shop, um, downtown in, in my town, mm-hmm. which is a medium sized town, but, uh, hearing from a friend, they've got vintage Star Wars figures. And I remember going down there and seeing the figures and let's say a new figure on the, sh- on the shelf at a toy store at the time was like, let's say five bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were selling them for like six or seven. 
and I just mm. balked. I was like, an old toy for $7? Oh, wow. No way. Wow. And I didn't buy any of them. I was like, no, they should be $2. They're used. They're used. <laughs> <laughs> little, little did I know. <laughs> oh, I remember struggling over three fifty for a you know back issue comic book that I wanted one time. You know, and I'm oh, just yeah. like, you know, you had you when your when your income is super limited because you're either on like a uh, you know part time job type deal because you're a kid in high school or you know even younger and you're on like an allowance type situation with your parents. You every dollar is precious, man, and you've got to make those decisions wisely. So. Yeah. I probably would it's, have been a little disappointed a seven dollar Star Wars figure as well. It's one of the things that I really appreciate about this day and age. You know, I, I try not to just, you know, be one of these. Everything was better back then, and mm-hmm. everything sucks now. Not the case. There's lots of cool stuff today. Today, you can be a fan of a lot more things than you could be in the '80s. We we're always hearing about it from people who grew up in that era. I wish I had Centurions. Mm-hmm. I wish I had Mask. I wish I had. Silverhawks. I mean, that's my story. I didn't have any Inhumanoids or right. uh, Brave Star. I couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And you just, you know, I, I couldn't read all the comics. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't watch all the movies. So, but in this day and age, it's a lot more affordable, especially with uh, digital comics. Yes. I, you know, the, yep. or or even audiobooks, right? If you can mm-hmm. afford the book, you can get the audiobook or the ebook. Uh, at a fraction of the price if you've got a laptop or a tablet or something like mm-hmm. that. And then even if you can't physically own this stuff, you can still be a huge fan of it because I think you you really can vicariously enjoy these things through um, through videos. Right. You know, that's when, when you see I, – I forget what the term is. There's this abbreviation that they've come up with where when you're watching a YouTube video, it's – it like elicits this response, this feeling in you as if you're there, you're experiencing it hmm. kind of like a virtual thing. I forget what the uh, – I hear some people use it as a comment like they've just achieved this this feeling that they're there and they're touching the thing. Oh. Um, but that's a cool thing about those videos where someone – you know, if I'm doing a video about something, I, I, I'm trying to let the person who doesn't have it and maybe won't have it, can't have it, enjoy it. Uh, so – I know from some of the videos that I've watched, I would be, you know, saying to myself, "Oh, slow down, you know, show me right. this." Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't. Like they're they're acting like they've seen this thing a thousand times and they don't care, and they they're not really doing it. Yeah. For the person who has never seen it and really wants to get a good look at it. Yep. So that's why I try to show off the little details and show yeah. off the features and, and what happens so that they can feel like, even if they can't have it, can't find it, won't have it, they can feel like. Yeah, I know that thing like the back of my hand, mm-hmm. thanks to that video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let, let me. Speaking of that, uh, you, you've got your lazy Raul set up where you uh, <laughs> where you where you give us a good three sixty view of these things. I have a couple of specific questions for you now. Um, why is it important that your um, toys are able to do the splits? <laughs> it's, it's not. I, I really don't care. It's just I, I I did that series on Devastator, right? Um, and they could all do That's the splits, not. which I thought, why can they? all do this right <laughs> like what and i started to notice more and more modern transformers can do the splits yeah yeah so what of all the articulation points why is this a designer is saying okay now listen i don't care if the fists move or not the forearms who cares 
knee, double joint, doesn't matter. Got to do the Van Dam splits. That's right. They're going to be able to do the Van. Optimus Prime needs to be able to do the Van Dam splits. <laughs> I guess because trucks are so prominent in Transformers, you you want to be able to stick one foot on Optimus and another foot on Magnus or Scourge. I guess. And- yeah, be able to. <laughs> Do your thing, yeah. Um, but it's just kind of a common thing. I, I, I check on every Transformer now. I go, well, <laughs> there you go. You can do the splits. Um, the, the other, and on a more serious thing, how, where do you fall on reproduction, like weapons or accessories um, to to add to your collection to maybe make a toy look complete? Because there, you want to talk about a a dividing line amongst oh, yeah. amongst fans and collectors is when you get into the reproduction stuff. Well, here's here's my deal. Um and I I get that there's people who aren't like that at all and uh I don't want to have anything to do with them <laughs> quite <Okay>. honestly. <laughs> quite, quite honestly, like I I don't get into debates and stuff cuz yeah. so, sometimes you're just not going to be able to enlighten someone. Uh you're not going to be able to get them to walk a mile in your shoes mm-hmm. and understand your point of view. It's just not going to happen because they're missing a, a certain chip. It's called an empathy chip. Mm. Uh, and I've got an empathy chip, I believe. I, I might have a really big one. Um, so I love it. I love repros. I love repro weapons. I am so happy for the people who get the joy of having being able to complete something at an affordable price. Mm-hmm. So if they get a sor- Masters of the Universe original Sorceress, for example, right. and they were able to get one cheaper uh, than a complete one because she's missing her staff. Mm-hmm. And then they turn around and they get a repro staff for five or ten bucks. Whereas the real one, the real old one, used one, used, uh, is, you know, wh- whatever it is, 40 bucks, 50 bucks. If they can do that, I am ecstatic for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just happy that they got to have that without breaking the bank. Um, cause not everyone's rich, mm-hmm. uh, big, uh, you can get big bags of GI Joe repro gu- guns on eBay for a couple bucks. Like I think it's five bucks for a whole bag of weapons. Yeah. And I think that's amazing. Yep. I love that. And that's because I don't look at anything in, in my collection as an investment. I've never looked at anything as, you know, the value of it. I don't watch the value. Right. I don't go, oh no, the value went down or like I go, wow, the value went up, but that's not a brag on my part. That's not right. a, I did great. And, um, you know, f- to, to use an example, the centurions, uh, you know, I just talked about how I, I picked those guys up for five or 10 bucks and mm-hmm. now they're way more than that. Right. I ain't selling them. Like yeah. that's the bottom line with me that those people that I say, I, I don't have anything to do with. I don't want to deal with them, discuss, debate with them because they don't get it. I'm not selling my stuff. I don't care how much it is. Like I enjoy it and I'm not getting rid of it. I'm not in this to make a profit. I'm not a dealer. I just enjoy it. And it's cool. Um, you know, if it, if it goes up, but it's also not cool because now other people don't get to enjoy it. So that's why I feel like I, I, uh, like to share my stuff with other people through the videos. Right. So, so so that's like the big thing, you know, I, I'm not selling my stuff. I'm not in it for the money. And when the value does decrease, because I've heard of certain things going down in value because reissues mm-hmm. and, and I see some people lament and they go, oh, no, those idiots, you know, they reissued it and they drove the value of my stuff down. Well, the value of my stuff went down, too. I've got the stuff, too. And here's the difference. Like, I'm happy for the people who got those reissues. Mm-hmm. So why? 
aren't those, and, and you know, I know why, but why aren't those people who are so upset happy for those people who got those affordable reissues? We should be happy for them. I think there's something missing that stops a person from being happy for another person. And that's why I, I take that stance. That might be a, a very, um, you know, uh, harsh stance, but right. I don't think so. I yeah. think you, you got to run, man. <laughs> like I, I use different <laughs> analogies. You got to run from those people. Another one I use is you got to put the suit on. Mm -hmm. You got to put on that airtight, hostile environment suit. When you're around people like that, you got to be careful because yeah. uh, it's, it's no joke. You know, they are toxic. They will mess you up. You got to put the suit on or you got to run. You got to stay away from them. People who aren't happy for other people, for their joy, for their, uh, you know, the things that make them happy, just stay out of their way. Yeah. They're, they're not going to do any good for you. So, so then I'm still trying to figure out where I stand on repros because I, I, there's part uh, of me. Are you, are you one of those guys I was just talking about? No, 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 no. Because I'm, I, the thing is, the thing uh, is, we got, is, we've got a bad signal here. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> no, let me, let me tell you where I'm coming from. I'm still trying to figure it out because on one hand, I'm like you, my stuff has never really been an investment. I never collected as an investment. Um, that's like, right. That's, that's why I got into it in the first place. Right. Cause, cause it's a toy, not mm -hmm. fine China. It's not a Ming dynasty vase. But on the other hand, there's something broken in me that if I'm looking at my vintage Jedi Luke Skywalker, and I know that the lightsaber in his hand is not an original lightsaber, you know, made by Kenner. It, it's going to nag at my at the back of my brain. And so I'm like, how do I feel about it? But then, now let me give you this example, because as we were talking here, I pulled up the dreaded eBay, and I looked up just the gun for the A-Wing pilot and the Death Star gunner from the Vintage line, the Power of the Force line, uh, in 84, 85. It's just a very, very tiny, tiny, easily lost gun if you're a child playing with these things back in the 80s. $135 is what one sold for just 10 days ago. Yeah, that's a lot. And if, Not the if, action figure. Not yeah. the action figure. Oh, I believe just it. his gun. I believe it. And that's a lot. And if someone can afford it and it brings them joy, then, you know, I, I say go for it. And I'm happy for you. <laughs> like, once again, I'm happy for you. There's a but, lot more joy I can get with $135, though. Well, that's that's my whole point. You know? <laughs> you know you buy $120 worth of repros, um, I, I look at it as – I try to break it down like Mr. Spock style from Trek. Um, it's plastic. It's plastic uh, injected into a mold and it comes out and like we're not talking about – at least this is how I approach it. We're not talking about diamonds or rubies or gold or silver. We're talking about plastic poured into a mold uh, a mold designed to create thousands, hundreds of thousands of copies. That's the way I look at it. So that's why repros don't bug me because they're made in the same way that the original was made. And I'm not really going to split hairs about, well, the original one came out of the mold in 86. This one came out of the mold in 2018, 2019. I'm, I'm going to be okay with that if the difference is 50 cents and $120. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I, I'm just going to sleep better at night if it's 50 cents. And, and by the way, I don't know if you'll get this reference or not, but Roth in Wyoming has just put in the chat, molded plastic chairs. 
<laughs> molded to your big butts. <laughs> that is a Superman three reference, ladies and gentlemen, for yeah. those wondering. Um, so then you and I stand in the same place as it pertains to graded figures then. Graded figures. I, I don't care about graded figures. Thank you. I, I just, I don't care. And, and I understand like there's a lot of people that, that that's important for them, but it doesn't matter. I feel like me. you're, like, I feel I, like I you're grade, being way too kind in, in that. I, like it, I grade my own figures. <laughs> that's right. basically how I do that. I think the reason I do that and I have, I don't care about graded figures is because I disagree with people who have certain grading. Like there's a, a certain guy who grades figures and he said, well, here's the grade. And I look at it and I go, no, you know, and that it, that's as simple as that. Like I, I get to have an opinion too. I mean, I like Adam West as Batman. I get to have an opinion. <laughs> so, so when someone tells me, well, this is this grade and it's $400 and I go, no, he's got paint wear and I'll give you 150 for it. Right. Like that's what I'll give you for. And then like, this is again, why I don't engage in debates with people because I've had those arguments uh, and they get, you know, it really, it breaks my heart when I am trying to, um, reach an understanding and compromise with mm -hmm. another person who mm -hmm. crosses their arms and they will not compromise at all. They act like a corporation. Oh, <laughs> you know, there we like, go. Bringing it back so, around. <laughs> yeah, it, it's best to just walk away, but, you know, I'm like, when I tell you I'll give you $150 for it, you shouldn't get insulted. That's what it's worth to me. Mm -hmm, right. Um, you know, and if you think it's worth $400, that's what you think. Mm -hmm. But that's an opinion. And then I ask them, did you like Adam West as Batman? And they say no. And I say, well, you're not entitled to your opinion. <laughs> that's like your opinion, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's, again, that missing empathy chip. When someone can't go, oh, okay, well, we can agree to disagree. We have a, a like a literally that's literally a clash of values. Mm -hmm. I I put this value on it. You put that value, and can't we just agree to disagree? It's not just in toy collecting or in movies or in comics. Everybody like in all walks of life, people, a lot of people can't agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. They feel like it. They have to win. Right. It goes back to that sporting event. Right. Algae got to win. Yeah. Because no one likes a draw. Mm -hmm. Right. Those people, they can't stand a draw. Maybe uh, growing up on really good draws, like Ric Flair versus Barry Windham, you know, those mm. matches, draws. And I thought, man, what an amazing match. Or Ric Flair and, and Steamboat. Mm -hmm. I, a draw just doesn't bug me. That's why I've always been so willing to, you know, reach an un, uh, a mutual understanding and call it a draw. I I was – I. I've done a little bit of it all when it comes to collecting stuff. I mean, from comic books, and then I got into to baseball cards for a while, and I've always been into the non-sports trading cards, you know, movie cards and that sort of thing. And when grading started happening there, I was like, well, okay, I guess I understand what's going on here. And then it seeped over into comic books, and I'm like, but how do you read them um, if they're in this thing that you can't open? And yeah. then and then it started to dip into toys and I'm like now this seems silly and and it kind of culminated in a, a situation I was part of a toy group um over on Facebook where uh people would do some auctions and stuff and it was and and it all started out as let's help one another build our collections up and so you had people not trying to get top dollar out of things you know it, it wasn't yeah. like and um god bless those people yeah they're still around yeah well they're, they're hey in in this group they started to fall away quick but <laughs> i was i was doing a i was doing a show i was doing a sale with a friend of mine um here in town that was doing some stuff and 
and and and his whole thing is it's just fun, and so he'll he'll find a bunch of stuff and and let it go kind of cheap, you know, and just kind of make back what he spent, and it's you know it's never a big deal, and it and again it's about helping people build their collections. So I was showing off a couple of my pieces that I really enjoy, and one of the Star Wars pieces I have um, that is really special to me is a blue snaggletooth. Um, I grew up my entire life with a blue snaggletooth. I, I, I never, until the internet came around, I didn't understand that that was rare. And I just remember like always going to the pegs whenever I'd go to a toy store and only seeing the little red snaggletooth and wondering why I could never find the blue snaggletooth, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and I didn't know if that meant my blue snaggletooth was fake, um, or what. Um, but, I had him, he was worn down, you know, a lot of rub on the boots as happens and that sort of thing. And I told you when we talked on the YouTube about my brother who had passed and had a collection. Well, one of the things that I ended up inheriting from him years down the road was his blue snaggletooth that I never realized he had. In fact, I kind of thought growing up that I had his blue snaggletooth already with loose joints and all this other stuff. Well, no, what I what I inherit, end up inheriting from him years down the road as an adult is this minty fresh, as though it has just been pulled out of the package. There's still paint uh, between the thumb and finger of one of his hands, you know, so that you can't stick a gun down in there. Um, mm. Joints so tight that you wouldn't believe it. And, and, and it's just a really special thing to me because it was my brother's, you know. And so I'm showing this thing off, and what and what that allowed me to do is I fell on some hard financial times around 2006, and it enabled me to let go of some of that collection that I needed to do, you know, sell so I could actually pay some bills. Mm-hmm. But I still had this blue snaggletooth, you know. And the first thing someone says when they see it is, "Oh, that should be graded." I'm like, "Why? <laughs> it here's the grade 100." <laughs> Yeah, you know. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, so, uh, so that's put just a, put a post-it note on it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Steve Lawson approved. That's right, Steve approved. What, what would that? So instead of AFA, that would be ASG. Yeah, ASG. <laughs> one hundred. By the Everything way, one hundred. <laughs> um, Dylan Newhouse in the chat says empathy chips are the worst Lay's flavor by far. So <laughs> we'll try them in Canada. That's a, they taste different. They're here. very good. All right. Those are the Canadian empathy chips are fantastic. <laughs> those empathy ketchup chips. Enjoy with a friend. Um, yeah. so. <laughs> Send in five proofs of purchase for a ghost of Obi-Wan. Oh man. <laughs> Don't, oh, the proofs of purchase, my friend that, um, did they, I guess, well, you didn't really do Star Wars till the till the nineties. Was there? Did they do that with? I guess they did that with GI Joe. They had did Hasbro do like mail away figures and stuff? Oh yeah, oh yeah. They uh, let's see. Cobra Commander was the first mail away, I believe, the Chrome Dome, and mm. then uh, my first mail away was the hooded Cobra Commander. Oh wow, yeah. So the uh, kind of squishy, uh, softer head with the mm-hmm. darker navy blue, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that was that was the beginning of. Uh, Sending away for something and getting it in the mail—that that mail toy joy—I will never forget getting that hooded Cobra Commander, uh, and then Slaughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, shortly oh, after that's that. right, Sergeant Slaughter was Fridge a mail away? Uh, yep, yeah, yeah, he was Fridge, and then Super Trooper. I never got the Super Trooper because it just seemed like such a step down from yeah. Sarge in the Fridge and hooded Cobra Commander. Um, it just seemed like seemed like they weren't trying, but I felt 
that was the case with quite a few of the later Joes mm-hmm. that they, there was definitely a, um, it felt like a brand manager shift and, and whoever took over didn't know the brand. Like right. low light doesn't have black hair. He has blonde hair. What the heck is going on here? <laughs> what are these guys care, doing? I, care. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just, that's a mentality fans have for everything. Mm-hmm. If you don't care, I don't care. Right. You, know, you don't have to stick to continuity to the T, but if you deviate far too much, like don't insult, not just don't insult our intelligence, but don't just throw everything we love in the garbage and say, it doesn't matter. Like, right. It does matter. Like certain things like a character's hair color matter. I mean, that's, that's the character. Well that, yeah. And that's one of those things back in, back in the day, you always noticed if something like that would change, like right down to mistakes that would be made in the cartoons um, I think of like in the eighties with the Transformers cartoon, there were like weird color shifts here and there where they just happened to color a character yeah. wrong or they misnamed a character. You know, there are people to this day who call Zuckus Forlom and Forlom Zuckus because yeah. of the misprints on the, on the Kenner figures and that sort of thing. And, um, but the Mellaway stuff, dude, I, I know with Star Wars, that was, that was my jam. Like I made sure whenever you got a new figure, like the first thing you did after you opened it was cut off that proof of purchase because yeah. you knew that eventually there was going to be another Mellaway figure. They did the Emperor. They did Akbar, Zuckus, which they called Forlom was one. I know, of course, Boba Fett being the most infamous one of all yeah. time, being the first. But uh, Anakin was a Mellaway. I got Anakin. Oh, yeah, the ghost. Mellaway, or the, yeah. Uh, the robes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, like the Power of the Force line was huge for me because I was – dying for star wars figures and like i said um the vintage just weren't around and if they were i refused to pay that much for a year seven dollars yeah yeah <laughs> for the love of all that is good and holy <laughs> yeah so when those hit the the shelves the pegs it blew my mind i i was transported back in time 10 years and i was mm-hmm. going to toys r us like every couple days and looking you know for what was new and then when they did the ghost of obi-wan like i was definitely Buying yeah. up those ketchup yeah. em- empathy chips. Uh, I think I got three of the darn things because wow. I just was so excited to uh, to get like uh, a Star Wars figure in the mail. It was mind-blowing. Turned out the figure, it looks kind of cool, but definitely deserves that Listerine Obi-Wan name. And my, the arms on mine barely moved. It felt like I was going to break them off mm-hmm. if I moved them. Um, but then they did the Han Stormtrooper mail-away, and that was yeah. only in the States, yeah. which – really sucked and i was in university at the time and it was the uh, infancy of the internet and there was a a message board somewhere um message group something like that and i was chatting with with another guy who said uh oh well i'll I'll send you one and my mind was blown i mean this was years decades before youtube channel and toy collection and any of this stuff and here's this you know amazing guy i think he was in california who just out of the goodness of his heart was going to send in the proofs of purchase and send me this thing Mm -hmm. in the mail and and i was like and this was before paypal so i'm like how how do i pay you how do i give you money how do i cover the shipping and you know he and i'll never forget it he just uh he said don't worry it's on me enjoy enjoy your uh Stormtrooper Han Solo. Wow, that's showed up awesome. in the mail, and it 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 really blew my mind. Like so that that's someone great. would go that above and beyond sure. the call of duty to uh, to help my collection. Yeah. you know my my minuscule collection, mm-hmm. but uh, just incredible to to have that kind of gift. 
Yeah. Now, were they still the barrel-chested mini He-Man figures with yeah. the Milloway Han? Yeah. Yeah, the stormtroopers weren't as bad as like Luke and and Han. Like mm-hmm. they just they they popped a Han head onto a stormtrooper body for mm-hmm. that Milloway. Yep. Uh, with a removable helmet, but there's no way I was going to be able to do that. Like, right. I think I tried to customize one of them, and I just ruined the figure. It wasn't <laughs> as easy as just heating up the head and popping yeah. it off. Now, nowadays, though, do you do a little customization here and there? Oh, yeah, quite yeah. a bit. Um, and it's a lot easier these days, too. I'm not all that crafty, mm-hmm. but uh, they make it pretty easy. I've uh, posted a picture not too long ago of my uh, unsuited and humanoids, Earth Core guys, and that was really easy. Just bought a couple of different uh, colored bodies from Marauder Gunrunners who do their own GI, modern G.I. Joe style oh, okay. bodies. Wow. And popped a couple of different heads on them, pieced the, you know, hands and feet, mm-hmm. you know, to have the the colors that kind of correspond with the big suits. And and so uh, that that's, you know, one of my <laughs> kind of easy, easy to do, you know, just pop a hat on type of customizations. And then there's a couple of other ones, mostly easy stuff like mm-hmm. Centurions. I've I've had some spare parts, so I you know make a custom weapon oh, system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which was kind of the intent of the whole toy line to do that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a few paint apps here and there. I, I don't. I don't. You know. I, I can't uh, remold anything or or pour a mold or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. I, I don't have the skill <laughs> to do that. <laughs> me, me neither, pal. Me neither at all. Um, one of the things that I do enjoy a lot about your channel is the look at a lot of transformers that you've given throughout the time that you've had your channel there. Well, well, you know, Steve, they are more than meets the eye. Indeed they are, sir. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you, th- this seems to be an area, the transformers and the GI Joe, um, seem to be, well, you say the big three of the eighties are he man, GI Joe and transformers. Why I say that because, you know, and yeah, people immediately go, what about Star Wars? And to me, Star Wars was, I know it lingered a little bit past Return of the Jedi, Mm -hmm. but um, it it, kind of, you know, honestly, it kind of checked out, you know, in in 84, 85. When was the last year they did the figures? Uh, 85, yeah. 85. Mm -hmm. And then there were droids and Ewoks, but those weren't a huge thing by any means. So I just... You know, we, you take Star Wars and it was huge in those, you know, definitely in the late 70s and mm-hmm. then early 80s. But I just don't think that, you know, and maybe the numbers say different. But when I think of the 80s and, and the stuff I grew up on, I, I just think He-Man, Transformers and G.I. Joe, they were huge. They went, they seemed to go longer than Star Wars and just produce more stuff. Yeah. Well, you through all that, what you've introduced me to are the knockoffs, the Transformers knockoffs. Um, oh, the uh, third party. The third party masterpiece type things. Yes. Um, yeah. That are just really amazing. And then not only that, like it never occurred to me that there were people who would make um, add-ons or replacement parts to to even up the ante of what Hasbro may have done or Takara Tomy may have done with a, with a masterpiece or with some of the newer stuff that they do. Um you know that to me, it it's just kind of amazing what what is out there. How do you with the with the price of those things? How do you pick and choose? Like, what do you do? Like, do you have a list of favorite characters? Do you see something be like must have? Is it well, impulse I was, buys? Um, uh, I had a a bit more money uh, years gone by before when I had a you know 
a fairly decent paying job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a lot more frugal these days now. Well, even even back then, though, I, I wasn't going to be buying a lot of these things. Right. My cutoff was uh, 80, 85. Okay. I, I decided I'm as far as the masterpiece stuff, I'm I'm not going to go much past 85. Like I wanted to fill up that one corner mm-hmm. with 84 and 85 Autobots, a couple of Decepticons, and then uh, a few of the 86 guys, you know, a couple of the 87 guys, a mm-hmm. uh, few exceptions here and there, but there's no way I can get them all. Right. So I kind of had to, you know, say the early years and then, you know, if they make a masterpiece punch counterpunch, like I'd love to have one, <laughs> you know, but it's, you know, it's that grip strength. Let it go. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't need it. I want it. And like you said earlier, you really need to know the difference between need and want, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. want is, can be a wonderful thing, but it, want is not need. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt you when you don't get what you want. Um, has, has there it, been, it, it, it hurts you when you don't get what you need. <laughs> that's, that's right. how it's supposed to work. Right. When you don't get what you need, that's what's supposed to hurt you. Not when you don't get what you want. Yeah. Has there been a favorite, uh, whether it's some of the newer, like out of the war for Cybertron, Siege, all that stuff, or or a knockoff or even a masterpiece? Is there one that just kind of really stands out to you as one that you just are like, it exceeded your expectations? I know the Transformers fans are going to get on you for calling them knockoffs because, like, they're. I'm sorry, I don't mean to call so, them. <laughs> they're so they're they're so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like they're designed incredibly, and a lot of the time they're nicer. I think than the uh, the official stuff, dude. Like the Dinobot. I watched one of your older videos the other day of Sludge. of Sludge, and I was blown away. Yeah, by I the size, by the Dinobots. size of that thing, by the by the by the pop out eyes attachment that you could do. Yeah. On, you know, like <laughs> I was like, I'm I'm sitting there looking at. It, I'm like. Well, that's what I want to save all my money and get are the Dinobots in that style. Uh, you yeah. know? <laughs> like those those third-party companies, some of them are, are a little more affordable. Something like Toy World still looks fantastic, but they're a little more affordable. Mm-hmm. But then you get companies like Fans Toys that have this um, pedigree. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they're a Hot Toys level of quality. Yeah. Like they go all out with the little details and the craftsmanship and the quality. Mm-hmm. They're not flimsy. You know, a lot of them just don't break easily. Uh, they are actually constructed better, more durably than the official stuff. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's the the term is generally um, uh, third party. I'm sorry. I need. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I need to go third party. <laughs> so, anyhow, yeah, not, Knockoffs is what I think of when I think of like the G1 reissues. Yes. That's, I think that term is still used for them, KOs, knockoffs, because they're just straight up reissues, recreations right. of the originals in a recreation box. Yeah. But even those, the quality of them has really shot up because mm-hmm. I remember getting knockoffs in uh, in the aughts, I guess it's called the 2000s. Mm-hmm. What a yeah. terrible name for a decade, the by the way. Well, it's the aught uh, seven, aught eight. Just terrible, like eighties, nineties, <laughs> <laughs> terrible. But I remember getting like a knockoff superior, <clears throat> superior, and it was terrible. Mm. Like it, the heads were breaking off trying to assemble them into the into the super robot, and the guns were breaking trying to put them on, and it it, it felt like it was made out of chalk instead of plastic. Just awful. And then I I, I got another one just a, a few years ago. Uh, made by a different company, and and quality seems like original Hasbro, mm-hmm. 
quality to me. Like it's they've really upped their game. Uh, but yeah, the upgrades are really cool too. Um, love uh, love that they look at something existing and going, hmm, that guy's like Fortress Maximus, the big uh, Fortress Maximus right. Hasbro did. That guy's missing his chest cannons. So a uh, company made some chest cannons you can stick on them or a sword or, you know, upgraded wow. gun. Yeah. But as far as the ones that I really like, um, I love the big Omegas. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a, one by a company called DX9. They named him Gabriel, not Omega Supreme. <laughs> That's how they get around the copyright issue. He's not Omega Supreme. Uh, and he's he looks like he just jumped out of the cartoon. He's fantastic. And then Fans Toys did their own Omega called uh terminus giganticus Mm. and he's a sight to behold too those things are really cool and uh just taking a look around my room uh the uh special place in my heart for power baser which is uh by a company called fans hobby it is the uh masterpiece unofficial third-party masterpiece um power master optimus prime Mm. so i love power master optimus prime i love the original one and uh, Hasbro hasn't gotten around to doing one yet. No other company has either. So that's the only one that's been made in that scale so yeah. far. And so I just love seeing Optimus, uh, you know, jump into the 21st century with all the articulation and size. He's just I'm looking at, I, I pulled up a picture right now looking at it. I, and let me tell you something. He looks, he looks bad. Optimus looks bad. Uh, <laughs> he just, he, with the guns. And you know, you because, mean bad, bad isn't good. Yeah, bad, bad isn't good. Bad. No, like Optimus is bad. <laughs> you mean like sick <laughs> like, or ill? In the way that Richard Pryor says, <laughs> Superman's bad. Um, <laughs> we, I got to get up to speed on all the words. So bad is good. Right. So is sick and ill. Apparently. Is terminal a good thing yet? No, no. I don't oh, think. Okay. I don't think anyone says sick or ill anymore. Oh, I, I hear it. I hear it on my channel. Oh, really? In in like a complimentary form, yeah. Hmm. Well, the, this Optimus is awesome, by the way. That, that really, <laughs> yeah. to get right down to it. Yeah, okay. And he does everything the original did, too. Like, mm-hmm. he, he's got the smaller robot, and then the engine comes out, and he combines with a trailer to to make the super robot. So they they um, carried over all of his original gimmicks. They mm-hmm. just gave him more size and, and more articulation and more detail. I may be treading dangerous ground here, but just seeing him and, and, and seeing the, you know, you talked about combining with the trailer and that got me thinking about a few other things. Um, how did you feel about the Michael Bay Transformers? Oh, um, like I, 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 I see where you're coming from. I know you got to be careful, just like with Star Wars fans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, grip strength. Just remember, folks, grip strength. <laughs> hold on tight, but also that means if you can hold on tight, you can sure let go, too. Yep. Uh, I love the first Michael Bay movie. Mm-hmm. I'll always have, probably always will. I really enjoyed it. I walked out of it going, yeah, he looked different. Prime mm-hmm. looked different. Megatron looked different. And they changed a lot of stuff. But I just, I felt it. Dude, when he when he said, I am Optimus Prime. Yeah. I I was just I was in the theater. My little sister was with me, and she started to die laughing. Goes, I go, heck yes, you are. And I was just like, I was there. <laughs> I was there with him, and you know, and when he when he threw out the freedom is the right of all sentient beings. Yeah, I'm like, there yeah, he is. Was, That's prime. It was um, magic, man. It, yeah. it made me feel good. It, yeah. it hearing Colin and they they reduce the size of the Autobots and like the number of Autobots and Decepticons just because you know 
it, it's money. Yeah. It costs yeah. a lot to animate those guys. But I felt they got it right. And then the second one came out. And then the behind the scenes stuff, you know, some of the sausage making mm-hmm. news was that there was a writer strike. And so they were making it up as they were going along. Right. They didn't actually have a proper script. And and I think the movie really reflected that. And mm-hmm. I know there's people who really don't care about a story. I mean, just uh, you're looking see a at bunch one of, of them. giant yeah. robots smash each other and I'll yep. be happy. But apparently that wasn't enough for me. No. So, <laughs> well, I I went to see I, I didn't get to see the second one on opening day, and I had a buddy that we went to see it, and we'd heard just how terrible it was, and um, we're watching it, and they're in the forest having their fight, and and whoever it is sneaks up behind Optimus and just runs him through with a sword, and Optimus dies, and I'm just sitting there thinking I have to watch this twice in one lifetime. Yeah. You know, uh, three, if you count the fake comeback, you know, from the series. And and I'm just like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can. And, and so, you know, they missed a great moment when Sam wakes back up and he's got the Matrix and he goes to put it in Optimus. You know what I mean? It's a great moment for Stan Bush to start singing. But, you, you got know, the touch. Exactly. And that's neither here nor there. But I. It should have been Stan Bush running in and putting the Matrix. <laughs> You know, with Sam going, oh my God, it's '80s rock star right. Sam. That's right, Stan Bush, like an old sitcom or like an old variety show. He's standing on Optimus's shoulder the whole time. Yeah. You're at your best when the going gets rough. Playing the one playing shall the stand, one shall fall. Uh, yeah, that. But I, I dug it. Like I, I had things that disappointed me in it, but by and large, I dug, dude. All I honestly, and I guess I'm just super easy to please sometimes because the it's opening, the opening segment of that whole second movie, when Optimus Prime parachutes out of Big Buddha, <laughs> I'm like, and he's like, I, "This is Prime. I'm in pursuit." I'm like, "All right, I'm in. I, you, you win. You got me. You hooked me in." <laughs> and the third one, um, Dark of the Moon, uh, I, I. Other than Ironhide dying, I'm I'm all in. When 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 they take off and and they blow up the rocket that they're all supposedly on, and um and Sam's crying and I'm crying, and then he goes back to Chicago to save his girlfriend that's not Megan Fox and you know because he loves her and <laughs> was and, she a knockoff? Not Megan. Yeah, Fox. That's right, not Megan Fox. Um, <laughs> that's how they got around. <laughs> that's right, and and he and they're playing that Lincoln Park song and. You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how what how is how are they? I know they're not dead; they can't be dead. But how do they get out of this one? And you don't and, remember the cartoon because there was a cartoon with a very similar um, plot line. Well, it felt similar to me. Yeah, uh, what really? Was, what was, I was what I was taken most by is is they were doing the space bridge, bringing Cybertron to Earth, like they did in the cartoon. Yeah, Ultimate Doom. Yeah. Um, and so so as that's going on, and then, dude, when he when he blows that Decepticon flyer thing fighter thing out of the sky and comes walking up behind sam and they just got the do 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 and he cocks his gun and he's like we will kill them all i was on my feet like i I was like yes yes optimus you will you will save the day now (laughs) i was like dare dare to believe you cancer (laughs) that's that's exactly i think the moment where we deviate (laughs) because um that's where I went. Okay, this isn't 
this isn't uh, for me. Right. This is for a new generation or, or, or someone who's willing to accept a different side of prime. And I mm. just, I wasn't willing to, um, yeah. you know, I wasn't willing to take Optimus and, and make him, you know, someone who would say that. Yeah. Cause the character just means so much to me in that he's such a self-sacrificing, mm-hmm. empathetic, um, strong, wise, uh, character. And then, it was just something so out of character that mm-hmm. I I can't. We never heard him say it in the cartoon. No, no, no one would ever allow him to say it. They'd right. go, no. I right. mean, isn't this a no brainer? That no, that's something Megatron says. That's not something Optimus yeah. says. But I do. Uh, you know, I understand that these days nothing is off limits. Right. Like well, literally, not- any character can say anything. Superman can come out one day and just say like. You know, if it's a funny line, you know, Kevin Smith will write him a, a funny line or Tarantino <laughs> can write him a funny line about how he's going to pull his head through his butt and, you know, floss with his whatever, right. you know, something totally out of character. But as long as it's funny and cool, right. uh, all bets are off. Well, I think I think the moment the age we live in. Now. Yeah, I think that moment with Prime for me, though, was everything that Prime believed he'd been pushed around. By the humans, he'd played ball with everybody. And now the one person in this world that he was supposed to trust had sided with Megatron, of all people, you know, to destroy this world that had been a home to them. And Prime, had he'd been pushed to his breaking point. It was over. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and my thing is, it's like they never made any bones about it. It was the Cybertronian war, you know, that was going on. Even in the, you know, back in the G1 days, it was war. Um, I, I didn't feel like that moment was too gritty or too dark. I just felt like it was prime had been pushed. And, and then as you go through the fight and everything, like he's fighting for the life, the lives of those who are under his watch still, he's, you know, it, it wasn't like it was just straight up vengeance that he was after. Um, and, and yeah, I just, I thought, and it wasn't just that one line. It was mm-hmm. a bunch of things that I started to notice. Like, give me your face. And it's yeah, like, okay, that we, was we've weird. got this really BA character yeah. right here who's, um, you know, the original one that he is patterned after. And even the voice actor previously portrayed is a, a being of pure compassion mm-hmm. who, who could not say that. He couldn't say any of those things because it would destroy him. Yeah. To do it. And then we even saw the exact same scenario in a cartoon where they sent him off into space and they blew the shuttle up and mm-hmm. they came back and they saved the day. But, you know, when you know, on the uh, animated series, mm-hmm. Prime doesn't take faces, take right. names, and right. take faces. He doesn't say he's going to kill them. He doesn't kill anybody. He thumps them. And that's he really the, <laughs> the magic of the 80s cartoons. Sure. That people get thumped, but no one gets killed. Well, until you hit that movie. Uh, yeah, that the movie is a different thing. It's for a different age group. It's a different violence level. You know, it's uh, you know if it's a, if that's your cup of tea, then enjoy it. But uh, I let go. So right. That's exactly yeah. what I did. I let go and I went back to the source material mm-hmm. and I enjoy the heck out of it. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people can do. They don't have to just sit there and and say they dislike the new thing. Mm-hmm. Well, let go, go back and and hang on, <laughs> grip. Onto yeah. the what you originally loved, and really appreciate that even more. Was the "Give Me Your Face" that was in the Revenge of the Fallen? I don't remember. Yeah, that was the second one. The third one was the "I Will Kill Them All." And then he goes after Sentinel Prime, and it's all now like, "Why are you doing this, Prime? Why did you do this, Sentinel?" And then Megatron shows up to fight him, and Megatron's like, "What would you be without me?" Prime? You know, not to turn it into a 
a religious uh, discussion, but Prime is such a, a Christ-like character to me. Mm. Um, you know, the scourging. Mm-hmm. Um, I just <laughs> Jesus isn't snapping at people as he's getting thro- <laughs> uh, stones thrown at him and he's getting whipped and spat on. He's not having, you know, I don't, I don't imagine him, yeah. um, uh, giving quips and one liners and grabbing his shotgun and getting revenge on all those guys mm-hmm. for what, for what they did. And I think that's, you know, what they did with prime. I mean, prime just said, I've had enough of this scourging and it's time for all of you to pay. And for me, Optimus, like Superman too, I'm not just limiting this to Optimus, Superman, Brave Star, right. Lion-O, these are guys, He-Man, even Duke, mm-hmm. um, these are guys who won't get pushed over the edge. Frank Castle, absolutely. Well, that's his whole character. He's been pushed yeah, over the edge. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Uh, but those other guys, you know, Prime, so, so Prime they don't have this breaking point where they fly off the handle and then they, they go insane with rage and mm-hmm. then they need to be redeemed. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's not their character to me. I didn't I didn't see and I didn't read that as Prime going off the handle with rage in that moment in, in the third one. When you're, I, when, when you're that pure, though, like it, it mm-hmm. really is like Christ saying, give me your face <laughs> <laughs> or I'm going to kill them all. Well, look, I'm going to really it is such a departure from so, like the pure, the purity and the wholesomeness that that's how I and and I guess sure. a lot of other people took it too. Mm-hmm. So if so, let's set that scene up. The the Sam and the gang are about to be blown up by these. Spike. He'll always be spiked. <laughs> he'll always be spiked to me. Um, Spike and the gang are about to be blown up by Spike LaBeouf. By the uh, Spike LaBeouf. <laughs> by the by the Decepticon Tie Fighter or whatever it is, and. And all of a sudden, it's blown out of the sky, and Optimus steps out, and he says, "We're here for you, Sam. You know, um, I told you I wouldn't let you down. You know, or something like that. Is that a better? And then, and then everything else plays out because the "Give me your face" was Revenge of the Fallen, and everything else plays out the same way. The big uh, battle of Chicago. And everything. I mean, it's a. And that's the thing with Prime. Mm-hmm. He wasn't flashy. Mm. He wasn't funny and witty. He, he, you know, he's not the most flamboyant character. That's why Megatron, I think, has so so many, maybe more fans. Mm. You know, Megatron and Starscream. You know, they're the the loud, obnoxious. Yeah. Got the great lines. Prime is the. Mm. They must be stopped. Yeah. <laughs> like well, that's okay. Not Listen, exciting, I'll give you this. But if, it's if he'd nice. have stepped out of the shadows and said Megatron must be stopped, no matter the cost. Sure. A la the a la Transformers the movie. Yeah. Okay. I'll give it you works. that. You win. Yeah. All right. Hey, it's not a sporting event, but you win, Michael Mercy. I give that's you this. Actually, one. that's a great point you bring up. I mean that that was in the animated movie. There you go. Not mm-hmm. not the, the most flashy, memorable line, but that's exactly what the the big bot said. But what when did he, it? But what did it lead down, into? He, sorry. When he when he says that line, what does it lead into? It leads into him transforming into a truck, and you've got yeah. the touch playing, and then we're off to the Stan races. Dan Bush, that's doing right. The splits, <laughs> doing the one splits. One leg on uh, Optimus, one on uh, Sentinel Prime or Ultra Magnus or whoever. Oh, that's <laughs> Iron great. Knight. That's great. And he's doing the splits, and you got the touch. But uh, like, if we go back to the animated movie, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. His best friends have been slaughtered on the shuttle. The city has been sacked. There's dead Transformers everywhere. He's driven past them. Mm-hmm. Or I guess he hasn't driven yet at that point. Right. But they're, they're, you know, they've been killed as friends, not just as soldiers. Yeah. His friends have been brutally killed. And what does he say? Not, I'm going to kill them all. 
he says Megatron must be stopped no matter the cost. Mm -hmm. So what he's saying with that line is, I'm going to go sacrifice my life to stop him. That's that's a a Mm self-sacrificing, compassionate thing to say. He's not saying they must all die. He's saying, I will pay the ultimate price to stop this guy. I'm going to give everything of myself. And so when someone says, give me your face or, or any of the other, going to kill them all, any of the other like violent, angry lines, that's not in keeping with, I will give my life Mm -hmm. to protect all of you. Yeah. So maybe that's another, like, uh, you know, instead of he must be stopped, no matter the, no matter the cost is, is a perfect line. It's the key. Because we know what he means. Right. Right. He's, He's driving off to his doom willingly with grace. How many people do that? Right. March to their doom with grace. Well, he's going to go fight to the finish, regardless, you know. And and if it and if it cost him his life, so be it. But yeah. Megatron is going to be stopped when this is all said and done. Yeah, like I, I guess you could say he doesn't know he's going to die, but mm-hmm. but he's think, willing to. He's willing to is the key. You would think a guy with that much wisdom would know. I'm probably going to go get thumped like I've yeah. been a thousand other times yeah, by this, this is... guy. And plus, it's him against all of them because mm-hmm. you know Hound and Sunstreak are like, we'll be back here oiling the ship. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, check the oil. <laughs> They're not following. Have you ever no. noticed that about that scene? They they, they cranked up the they cranked up the music for him. They're like, we've got we found Stan Bush. <laughs> well, we gotta we gotta work the subwoofers over here. Yeah, we, we found Stan Bush. We'll let him do it. He's by himself driving over that oh, dam. He's that's... like, where is everybody? <laughs> <laughs> where did everyone go? Uh, <laughs> hey, Prime, we're the eighty four line. We're just gonna hang back here. Yeah, but they want us out anyway. We're good. Yeah, it's... It's dangerous. We're going to turn it over to Cup and the gang. Old uh, stock. <laughs> <laughs> so did you check out? Did you bother with the fourth and fifth one at all? Or I, I watched the fourth one. Yeah. Because um, I just love Transformers. Mm-hmm. And I like Mike, Mark uh, Wahlberg, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I knew what I was getting myself into. Right. <laughs> it wasn't like, I hope this one's good. The, no, the, I, fourth, I watched... one, the fourth one hurt me a little more... Um, than than the third one did and and because apparently I was wrong for my love for what Optimus did there and you've shown me the error of my ways no but, no, no I'm, I'm kidding I'm kidding you, you're entitled you've earned an opinion because I like Adam <laughs> West that's right um but no but but when he you know is the old version of the truck and everything and and Mark Wahlberg finds him and when he wakes up and Prime is just in such a such a ready to fight mode um that broke my heart because well, and, and really it broke my heart because it's like, what have they been through since the last time we saw them? Yeah. I guess you know? that's blending for yeah. me into the previous movies. Right. I, I honestly, you know, it's, it's hard to remember what happened in mm-hmm. which movie. Cause I've only watched two, three and four mm-hmm. once. Yeah. Maybe I've seen, I think I've seen two twice trying maybe three times trying to enjoy it and love it. And like the Phantom sure. Menace syndrome, like this must be good. Yeah. There's too much writing on this. <laughs> but after the fourth one, um, I walked out of it going, yeah, okay. Uh, I, you know, I hoped for the best, but mm-hmm. this is what I expected. Yeah. And I said, I'm out. Like, if okay. there's another Transformers movie directed by Michael Bay, I, I won't go see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people thought, yeah, right. You know, that weekend is going to come up. You're going to have nothing to do. And I didn't do it. Mm. You know, like I, it came out and the call came, Hey, you want to go and see the, no, thanks. I, I meant what I said. I'm, I am out. And so 
I haven't seen part five mm. last night. Have you? Yes, I have. Oh, what'd you think? Um, <clears throat> once again, oh, when I went in, I knew that it was going to be not great. Like I just had no expectations for it. Yeah. And I came away just loving it um, because it gave me what I needed out of a, out of these Michael Bay Transformers movies. A lot of explosions, a lot of robots fighting. Optimus, um, the, the Quintessons were there basically in some form. And they, she, it causes Optimus to go evil. You know, Nemesis Prime, which oh. I never like that. That's the thing I never like. I don't like... I don't like, let's toy with Superman being a bad guy. Let's toy with, yeah, I never liked that kind of stuff at all. Yeah, they um, did that in a cartoon series yeah. one time called Robots in Disguise. Right. I, I believe in the early aughts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, Nemesis Prime shows up and Bumblebee is who brings him back to his senses, you know, basically. And okay. And then Optimus gets up and he gives a great rousing speech of, you know, I've, I've messed up. This was a mistake. And, you know, but now we must protect the earth. We must defend the earth at all costs, that sort of thing. And No matter the cost. And all, but basically what they're having to do to defend the earth is let Cybertron go, oh. um, which is, you know, it, it's, it's this moment of like figuring out how we're going to do this. And Unicron is involved. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Come to find out Unicron is the earth. Uh, so, oh, spoilers! Um, yeah, spoiler alert! Yeah, yeah. And so, but that's that's one of those things that'll never come to fruition as far as like you know where was the story going because, um, you know, at first Bumblebee wasn't a reboot, and now it is a complete reboot of the of the franchise. So, did you see and and like Bumblebee? Yeah, um, yeah. Just to go back on to the robots in disguise thing, mm -hmm. I like how they did it in that series because Prime got, um, I guess. You know how Transformers, when they find a new mode, they scan mm -hmm, a vehicle mm -hmm. like they did in the original cartoon. They like Prime's thing scanned a truck and that's right. what he transforms into. Yeah. So there was this Decepticon named Scourge that scanned a truck. But Prime was – if I'm remembering the scene, scene right, Prime was holding onto the truck, maybe trying to stop it from going over the cliff or something like that. Mm -hmm. So he's doing something heroic, saving a life. And the scanning scans the truck, but it scans Prime too. So the Decepticon comes out looking like Prime. Oh, okay. So he's like so, Faker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, he's he's the Faker version of Prime, and and that works. So you still get your heroic Prime, but you also get the the flip side, the mirror version. Mm -hmm. So you know we don't have to see an evil He Man. You get right. Faker and right. same with Prime. Um. And what what, were, what was your <laughs> question? It just slipped my mind. Oh, I was just asking well, if, with if Bumblebee. The yeah. Bumblebee, yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw Bumblebee. I loved it. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was because the deal was I wasn't going to go see a Michael Bay directed Transformers right. movie, which right. it wasn't. And uh, I didn't rush out opening day, but I had heard so many people say, "No, this is a different thing, man. You gotta you gotta let go right. <laughs> of of what you know." And it, it's what I've been saying, like. I can let go. No, no mm. problem. Got that grip strength to let go. Yeah. And so checked it out and loved it and walked out of it thinking, so that's a prequel. And then when I heard it was a reboot, I'm like, okay, that's even better. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Clean the slate. Yeah good, yeah. good start. Excellent. I thought so. And what I loved about it was the charm of, of the structure of the thing was as much, as much as it was set in the eighties, it was structured like an eighties movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, sure. it, it was, it just, you know, it had enough, unbelievability that you just would believe because you're there, you know, and, um, and, 
and the bad guy becomes the good guy in the end, you know, with Cena, you know, doing his here's doing here's his the turn. one like thing that bothered me about that movie. Nothing with the Transformers end of it, but mm-hmm. with Cena, he was awesome. But if he wasn't either Hawk, Colonel Hawk mm. or Joe Colton, mm-hmm. G.I. Joe, right. If if not him, then who? And if not then <laughs> then when? Then when? Yeah. Like if and that's like that was my big thing walking out of that. I enjoyed the movie movie, but I was like, when are you going to bring Joe in? Yeah, <laughs> like indeed. that was your moment. And maybe they still will, but they missed the opportunity mm-hmm. to have Cena be Hawk. Yeah. Instead of like maybe they'll just have him be a completely different Joe, but I thought, oh, it's set in the eighties, and oh, you could have done it, <laughs> right? You could have been there. How do you he feel? He would have been perfect. I mean, Cena is—he could have been the modern day Sergeant Slaughter, the real life GI Joe. So, how do you feel about the GI Joe films that we got? Uh, pretty much the same as the Transformers mm-hmm. movies. They're they're GI Joe in name only. Oh wow! Um, okay, yeah. They they have some cool moments. I love the silent interlude moment mm-hmm. from Retaliation. Mm-hmm. Um, Rise of Cobra, I, I, I didn't enjoy it. Um, I, I, it just didn't, it wasn't Joe. It wasn't G.I. Joe for me. My take on, my take on Rise of Cobra was that it was literally about 25 to 30 years too late. That had we gotten a G.I. Joe movie with the same story arc, you know, and the same kind of, um, Action obviously the effects wouldn't have been as good in the eighties, but had this been a GI Joe live action movie we got in the eighties, I think it would have been one of those classics. I think we would have all as kids been like, well, this really isn't like the cartoon or the comic, but you know we would have accepted it for what it is during that time. Um, I wonder about that because Masters of the Universe kind of pulled the same thing. Mm-hmm. Masters of the Universe movie, yeah, where they were like all bats are off is a totally different thing, and and I remember as a kid watching that going. Why are you changing everything? That's right. That, that, that's, that's true. Sacred. That's true. Uh, I'll and, give you that. Well, I think, though, the thing is with G.I. Joe, they at least got Snake Eyes right. And I think for a lot of kids yeah. in the 80s, that would have been all, the only thing that mattered. Yeah, they certainly got him right in the second movie. Mm-hmm. You know, cool in the first one, but the yeah. lips thing was... Oh, yeah, that was weird. Yeah, that was a weird That was a weird the rubber, choice. The rubber upper body. The, the outfit in the second one was so much better. And, and that silent interlude mountain scene is just perfection. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just put the Blu-ray in and watch that scene because yeah. it's just so magnificent. So that's that's just part of my whole thing my, of not being an all or nothing mentality. Right. I can watch part of a movie and go, awesome. Yep. Yeah, my other my other takeaway from the GI Joe: The Rise of Cobra was somebody watched Star Wars um, because they it was all there: the sword fights, a trench run, a giant a, a giant base that needed to be destroyed, yeah. um, and uh, and and I I did like Retaliation for what it was. It felt like that GI Joe cartoon that was on in the early 2000s, I forget what it was called, but it was kind of the same thing where the Joes were on the run. Um, Renegades. Yeah, Renegades, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, which, that was a pretty good cartoon, but, I, you know, it wasn't my chewy 80s goodness G.I. Joe. I just wish Hasbro would, um, and, and all companies for that matter, would realize, like, the detail is really important. Mm-hmm. And when they just change something, and this happens mostly in movies. Yeah. In, in comics, they really adhere to that detail. Definitely in toys, it's all about those little fine details. Mm-hmm. You know, remember this? Well, it's back. Yeah. Remember that? Well, we've improved it. Awesome. Great. But then movie comes along and and you go, well, you know, 
what's Duke going to look like? Well, first of all, we've cast a guy that looks nothing like him. That's right. <laughs> like, what? Well, he, he acts nothing like him. Right. <laughs> like, okay, well, he's going to have the green pants and the tan shirt, right? Of course not. Mm-hmm. The bandolier across the, the chest, maybe even binocs. No, Why would we do cares? that? Yeah. Why would we do that? It's Channing Tatum. Yeah. He's going to have a leather outfit like everyone else because we love X-Men. Like, exactly. But this is G.I. Joe. This is an X-Men. Let, exactly. let the X-Men people make X-Men movies. And why don't you make a G.I. Joe movie because you've got the G.I. Joe license? So I would just love to see a G.I. Joe movie where – because the kids will love it too. Mm-hmm. They absolutely will. These studios think it doesn't matter. You know, These old fogies, they think – all this stuff is important, but the kids don't care. The kids will love the detail. The kids loved it in the 80s. Why? And I think they would love it today, too. Like all of the little personal touches of the G.I. Joe outfits. Yep. You know, shipwreck with the, with the, the gloves and mm-hmm. the uh, anchor tattoo mm-hmm. and the bell-bottom pants and the hat. And, you know, why change it? You know, yeah. well, we got to give them a toque. No, why? Yeah. Like he's just as – the Joe costumes are just as iconic as the Marvel costumes are. And, you know, they do tweak them a bit in the movie. But for the most part, like that Iron Man suit is is pretty close to the classic well, yeah. Iron Man outfit. Yeah, it is. Well, here's the thing. And this is this is this is what I think that we found in, in using those superhero movies as the example is the closer they got to what was on the page, uh, mm-hmm. the, the more people responded positively. Yeah. To these things, you know, because because the fans who were fans of this stuff originally were putting it over to everybody else, you know, and and I think and I go back to X Men and the black leather in that first movie and and beyond. Um, I, I think a lot of comic book fans saw that as well. They're still ashamed that this is a comic book movie. Mm, you know, yeah, they maybe. still don't trust the comic book genre, so. God forbid. And what would you prefer? Yellow spandex? I'd kind of like to see if it works. You know? Yeah. And they, and <laughs> do, they the, do the orange it. and red one, you know? Yeah. And they teased it in... I, one of those the, Wolverine movies, yeah. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't yellow. Maybe it was the tan version mm-hmm. or something. But they, they showed the mask. Maybe a deleted scene or something like yeah. that. But he opens yeah. up a suitcase, something yeah. like that. And there's that classic suit. And like... Yeah, I, I get why they went with the black leather of the X Men movie because the tone is very dark, mm-hmm. and so so they're you know, but they still try to sneak in some colors in there. Like if you notice in the X Men leather outfits, Wolverine has yellow stripes. Just that, yeah, that's flying. that's later on. That's in um, that's in the future movies. Um, I think right in the in the first one, the Brian Singer two thousand movie. Uh, if you look at the, and you might not be able to notice it on your TV. But the the toys, the the figures, they have these fine details. Like they all wear similar looking black leather outfits, but like there's um, just fine fine lines. Like Cyclops's lines are blue, Storms are white, mm-hmm. Wolverines are yellow, uh, Jean Grey's are red. Check it out. Like Google a picture and you'll see like you know, you might see those colors that you've never noticed before. But they put them in there because Jean's colors are red. Mm-hmm. You know, Scott's are are blue. So uh, that's like a little tip of the hat. Pulling to, it up. To the original design. Um, for the G.I. Joe movie, putting everyone in, in those black outfits with not even that little tip of the hat to the original costumes. Like, why are you making a G.I. Joe movie dark and brooding? <laughs> that's not what G.I. Joe is supposed to be. Right, right. You know what? I think... No, that's X2. I'm looking... 
because I am trying. I will say this: that that Wolverine's jacket that he has on when they first, when we first meet him in the first X Men looks like it was right out of the cartoon. Um, mm-hmm. That that leather jacket with the with the rings around the sleeves. Yeah. Anyways, um, I, I but my point is. <laughs> Uh, was was what you're saying. I, I do think, though, that when comic book fans saw, well, they're refusing to do the costumes that we all know and love, I think we looked at that and said, well, they're embarrassed by us. You know, they're embarrassed by this thing that has done so well. Either and, either embarrassed or they don't know the value of the history. Mm-hmm. Like, they just think, who cares? They think the name is all that matters. Right. And I'm like, I've always been of this opinion if you're going to change everything, why don't you just change the name? Yeah. Why don't you call it GI Herald? GI Herald. Like why are you calling it? Like I would, why, why would you call it GI Joe and change everything? Well, mm-hmm. the brand name. Okay. So you're going to change everything, including the tone, right? Change everything. And they, and every, they do this to everything, not just GI Joe. Um, Everything uh, completely changed, but we got to keep that name because the name is important. No, the name doesn't matter anymore once you've gutted right everything that made it what it was yep yeah it's uh it, it's it's the old it's the old thing that we've been doing and as and as they got closer to as i said what was off the page people responded better you know yeah um, i mean i i see um in, in the avengers movies like you know you got hulk even with the purple pants mm-hmm. um and thor looking very similar to his outfit from the from the comics and the Captain America, you know, star spangly. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't have to be the exact same, um, scaly looking costume from the comic, but it's, it's so close that it doesn't feel as though someone walked in and went, all right, back to the drawing board. You know, I want to put my own personal mark on this. Right. They even acknowledge it in the movie. You know, we need something old fashioned and star spangly. Right. He said, know, maybe to, maybe to the world people. needs a little old fashioned right now. All the things are coming to life. Yeah. Yeah. And coming I and I life. loved in I think it was Captain America two where he had the darker outfit for a like a Metal Gear Solid type yes. of yeah. infiltration onto yep. a boat. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. You know, you don't want to go in bright red, white, and blue at night on a boat. Um, so they darkened it up a bit, but like his, his, that was an exception, not the rule. Like his standard battle fatigues is bright red, white, and blue. Right. Right. All right. Mea culpa, mea culpa. I've pulled up. I actually said, I, I forgot. I can just pull up the movie and watch it. Um, <laughs> you are, you are spot on. Yeah. There's yellow trim on Wolverine's black suit as a nod. It's so to easy that. to miss. And I, yeah. I never noticed it in the movie. It's the merchandise where I noticed it, the figures. Well, I noticed like, it. Really? They, I know they did it in later movies, and I and I did not think they did it in the first one. I have never noticed it. I let it go by me. And you're right. Cyclops has some blue trim on his, and Gene has some uh, red, and Storm actually has a little bit of white trim here and there. Yeah, and Wolverine just by luck grabbed the one grabbed with the, the yellow. yellow on it. That's right. But but it's it's you know yellow is his color. So that I took that to mean all right. So you've given them the movie outfits now, but at least there's that throw us a bone. Mm-hmm. And that, that that's a good example yeah. of throwing the longtime fans a bone. Right. Yeah. Well, man, I've had a blast tonight. Yeah, dude. me too. I, I, I thank you so much for coming on. Plug oh, your, thanks for having me. Plug your, uh, plug your YouTube channel once again. Plug it? Like, <laughs> does it have a hole in it? <laughs> <laughs> How can people find it? <laughs> Is it leaking? <laughs> uh, it's uh, YouTube.com uh, slash Michael Mercy. 
lots of fun stuff going on there. Not just toys, but uh, got some classic movie reviews on there. Just took a look at a great old Canadian movie called The Park is Mine with Tommy Lee Jones. Um, and it's if you love First Blood, you'll love The Park is Mine. It's uh, mostly shot in Toronto, but it's about a guy, a uh, Vietnam vet who's done being disrespected. And he, he just decides he's going to take over Central Park until Veterans Day. So oh, wow. if you love first blood, man, that's, that'll be right up your alley. And, and there's Trek stuff too on there as well. My wife well, and I are going through Star Trek TOS mm-hmm. finally. Well, my, my friend Dave too. Jones will love that. Uh, but here on, on Geek Out Loud, we have a, uh, we have a mantra. It's your safe place to geek out about anything except Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> But uh, my, yeah, youtube.com slash Michael Mercy. And there you can find out how to subscribe, like, ring the bell, all that good stuff to get over there and get notifications as to when he has new videos and everything. Do you have a, a schedule, a regular a, a schedule, or do, is it just when things go up, they go up? Uh, when they, they go up, they go up. Okay. And uh, some, some videos take longer than others. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so that there isn't like a two week lull on right. the channel. Um, I might be working on something in the background, like a big thing, and and then in in the meantime, I'll I'll put out uh, you know like a a look at Grunt, you know G.I. Yeah. Joe's original how about, Grunt. How about that? Thing. What a what an interesting figure to kind of choose and go after there. Yeah, are, are you? I know you did Scarlet. Are you are you just going to walk through all of the original line and? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm just working my way. I've done a few vehicles, mm-hmm. uh, Joe vehicles in the past, but I thought for the individual figures. Uh, I would just start from the beginning and uh, I've been putting polls up on the, on the Patreon mm-hmm. uh, page and uh, the folks on Patreon are helping decide who's next. So they decided on Scarlet and Snake Eyes for Grunt. I just had to do it for my, my good friend, uh, Joseph, mm-hmm. good brother, Joseph out there. Uh, Cause he's a big Grunt fan and Grunt doesn't get enough love. So that was a little bit of love for the infantry. You, you've you also, you've also kind of taken to sitting down and reviewing some news and that sort of thing. Um, of stuff that may come up, like um, you at after Comic Con, you kind of did a recap of of what went on at Comic Con and and stuff that came out from some of the toy uh, companies there, and you just kind of hit the highlights and gave your opinion when the uh, when the ultimate the, the Thundercats Ultimates line was revealed finally by Super Seven. You've got something up about that, um, as you said. Yeah, I- I haven't normally, uh, you know, I'm, I don't keep up on news, mm-hmm. um, but, um, you know, there's a lot of people sharing their opinions on this stuff. And I just felt like, um, sometimes I would do some browsing on YouTube and I, I would hear a lot of, uh, people getting angry. Mm-hmm. They would, uh, they would feel like it's an, an affront mm-hmm. to them. And I just today, like I had a general idea of what affront meant, but I actually looked up on the dictionary what affront means. Uh, check it out if you're curious, everyone out there, because uh, that's exactly what a lot of people take some of this stuff to be. It's like a personal insult. Like, how dare you do mm-hmm. this news to me? <laughs> so I just, you know, I, I stopped listening. Yeah. But then I thought and it, it would still pop up. And and a lot of the time what happens is I'll get a message, uh, emails, direct messages or postings on the videos or, or various social media of people asking, what do you think? about this and what do you think about that so i figured well you know i i like adam west as batman so i i get to that's right. share you my get two to share your opinion that's right exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. i <laughs> earned my opinion by liking adam west as batman so uh i just figured well we'll see what happens mm-hmm. and 
and I started just kind of sitting there and uh, sharing my two cents about this and that, just with my personal take of it, of not necessarily yay or boo. Just mm -hmm. usually I end up in the middle. Like hey, the message is usually, hey, we don't really know anything yet. Right. But here, here's what's going on and here's what might happen and here's what we hope happens. As, as an example, I would point everyone to your Snake Eyes casting and the new Masters Universe announcement um, yeah. reaction from a few days ago. Uh, it, it's some of the more level-headed commentary on what, what had come out about the Kevin Smith run Masters of the Universe show. And I thought very astute. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, ideas on that because when when it was first when the news got sent to me, I was scratching my head because I've actually heard Kevin Smith basically say that that was never in his wheelhouse. Yeah. And and, and I, you know, it doesn't have to be for someone to step in. But then what you took on is the idea of well, what are they going to do to these characters? You know, yeah. uh, what kind of what kind of humor are they going to try to throw in and that sort of thing? And I thought it was a very astute observation of. Of, of cautious optimism. Um, yeah. And, and with like continuing He-Man, I mean, that's, that's a tactic used to draw in the old fans mm -hmm. and say, you're invested and we won't throw everything in the garbage. We, it is important and we're going to continue it. And, and that's happened right. before. I mean, there's been a few Transformers comics that pick up where the old comics left off. Yeah. And even though they they technically continue the story, the tone is what's so important to me. Right. And and a lot of the time, I just feel like that the tone is off. Like I hundred percent agree with not, you. I hundred percent agree with you on that. Yeah, the heart's not in the mm -hmm. right place. Uh, the heart was in in such a good, warm, fun, loving, self sacrificing, empathetic place before, and then where the heart is now is in a more cynical and cool and you know. BA place. Yeah. So with the announcement, Kevin Smith, like I just wanted to say, you know, he's great. He's fantastic. But does that mean he can like write another chapter of the Bible? Like, right. no, <laughs> no, you know, but, but you know, with, with He-Man, like, is he the right fit? Cause when they say they're continuing the old show, I, I think they better be very cognizant, mm -hmm. um, that, that you don't just continue the old show you're picking up the reins from Lou Scheimer. Mm -hmm. The old show is Lou Scheimer. And I would really, I would appreciate if his name was thrown around a lot more than it is. Yeah. Um, I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. And uh, I know there's a lot of people who love the mini comics, which was Mattel's take and, and yeah. the people they hired to write those mini comics before Mr. Scheimer stepped in. But I love He-Man because of Lou Scheimer. He made He-Man like Optimus or like Superman. He just made him and Shira too, and and a lot of those characters, just incredible. And and he had such a high level of class, grace, excellence. He just was uncompromising when it came to class and grace. And the stories I've heard about him with uh, certain things done in the show, and just outright refusing to allow certain things to be done that could be taken the wrong way by a kid, because his mission in life was to teach and inspire and you know just create a generation of thoughtful strong intelligent loving people that was that was his you know whole goal and walt disney gets you know praised for you know the, the person that he was you know sometimes not praised for some other things but lou scheimer is just this kind of uh unsung hero yeah this this incredible rare 
person who was totally out of place in the entertainment industry, uh, just a beautiful soul and dearly missed, uh, not with us anymore, but we can still learn from him because, uh, because his lessons are, have been immortalized, you know, in, in all these wonderful old episodes that we can watch and anyone picking up those reins needs to go back and really focus on the tone and and where the heart was, what place his heart was in, mm-hmm. and put their heart in that exact same place and be that uncompromising too and say, no, we're not going to make light of this. We're not going to make a stupid joke. We're not right. going with bathos. Um, you know, this is going to be unapologetically, fearlessly sincere. Mm-hmm. This is what the whole point is. That's what He-Man was. Mm-hmm. That's what She-Ra was. That's what Brave Star was. I'm hoping that Kevin Smith's Masters of the Universe is that fearlessly sincere too. Yeah, I feel like here's the thing. I feel like Smith has that in his heart somewhere. Um, that because when you hear him begin to wax about his childhood and the things he loved, particularly like Star Wars, um, and I don't mean when he cries over being on the set. <laughs> right. Duty. I, I mean, cries like over his breakfast. Right. I mean, I mean when he talks about his memories and playing Star Wars and the adventures they'd have. You know, that and, and he kind of lights up a little bit when he talks yeah. those things. And I feel yeah, like that cool. part of him is still there somewhere. But I also know his leanings of let's make this joke. Let's throw this thing in there. You know, that sort of thing. Let's not take it so super seriously. I, um, I want to give him the benefit of the sure, doubt. I do. Uh, uh, yeah, me too. Know, I'm, I'm on team Kevin Smith, but there is a great quote from a, a Greek warrior poet that I often bring up. It's his name was Archilochus. And these are words to live by. He said, we do not rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. And so is Kevin Smith going to rise up to the level that he's never really been at? Mm -hmm. Or is he going to fall to what he has always done? Yeah. So I hope for the best. But uh, what's his track record? Mm -hmm. What is his body of work? Right. You know, his, 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 the majority of his body of work. And he was asked at, at PowerCon about it. And he was like, don't worry, there won't be any snoochie boochies. Right. But there's snoochie boochies in most of the stuff he's done. Yeah. And I just don't see Masters of the Universe being something that you'll watch and go, that's nothing like Kevin Smith. Man, that, that's like Lou Scheimer's stuff. How, how can it be when he's never, you know, risen to that level or, or gone to that area over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting and I'll definitely check it out. I haven't watched the, she, I haven't watched the She-Ra stuff, um, on, on Netflix. Um, I I just haven't taken the time to do it. I I did like the Voltron series they did. Um, Yeah, that was fun. It was fun. And when it got the last, I haven't watched the last season that's there, but the last four episodes of the previous season were everything you want out of an action adventure series, you know, that was building up to Voltron against all odds, having to defend the earth and, you know, defend the universe indeed. Um, as they always did. I, here's, here's the thing. Uh, we, we've got to wrap it up, but I want to get you back on sometime because this He-Man thing has opened a whole other door, uh, <laughs> because I'd, I'd love to hear your take on the early 2000s He-Man. I'd love to hear, I'd love to let's, we haven't even talked about favorite episodes of Transformers, G.I. Joe, He-Man, all the good stuff, um, favorite issues of comics and that sort of thing. And that's kind of what, you know, I'd, I'd originally want to do. And we've just gone all over the place, which is fine. I've loved it. I've loved every minute of it and appreciate you so much taking yeah, the time, taking the time to, to be it. with us. Um, 
and uh, and hopefully we can have you back on sooner than later, my friend. Oh, for because sure. this is some good stuff. Uh, to everyone else, we'd love to hear from you. The email is geekoutonline at gmail.com. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. And uh, and as you know, we that we we built this we built this show on the backs of your emails. So we need them to keep the show alive and keep it going. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. If you want to support the shows, there's Amazon links at geekoutpodcast.com and geekoutonline.com. And of course, our Patreon is patreon.com slash geekoutloud. We appreciate everyone who supports us directly that way. Uh, expect Forceology uh, 304 uh, pretty soon, as well as a new Super Saturdays. And um, we're firing back up the movie commentaries there at Patreon. So a lot of fun stuff coming to our Patreon channel. We appreciate everyone being a part of that. Michael Mercy, again, thank you so much, my friend. It's been great. Oh, thank you so much, Stun and Steve, baby. And thanks everyone out there for listening. Really appreciate you guys listening in. And always remember, you've got the touch. You've got the power. Yeah. (laughs) Until next time, everyone, I'm Steve Glosson. Have a great whatever you're having. And we'll see you on the next Geek Out Loud. Thursday. Thursday.